everyone, and welcome back to another episode of MTG Rants, and uh, I guess we could say that we're back. We kind of missed a week there, and we're really, really sorry about that. Both Ross and I were very busy last week, and then I got my actual second dose of the COVID shot. Yeah. Uh, I'm so, sorry, the COVID vaccine. It's it's my fault early. You know, I was busy yeah. early in the week, then you got the vaccine midweek, so we couldn't really do it late. How did you do with that, by the way? So, um... I, because I'm getting I, my second shot tomorrow. Uh, I think I got pretty lucky overall. Yeah. Um, I think I said this about the first one. I, I, I experienced a lot of what other people experience, just to a much lesser degree. Sure. And I don't want to be like, yeah, I'm just tough, and it didn't bother me as much. Like, maybe just because, like, I'm generally a healthier guy. You know, I don't... I mean, to me, it literally is is just luck. Like it's right? probably just luck, right? I when I you know the first first dose, I was fine. Like I had no issue. I had very mild soreness in the arm. Yeah, I little I got it Wednesday. I played tennis on Thursday with no yeah. issue at all. See, I had it worse than that. Like I at least I at least was like I was mildly sore along my entire body. I got like really tired that night. Went to bed like you know an hour or two before I normally do because I was just like I'm just exhausted for some reason. I didn't really do anything. You know what yeah. I mean? And then um, this one, uh, so I got the shot, went home, kind of just like took it easy. You know what I mean? I didn't want to overexert myself or anything. Um, you know, I got like my walk-in for the day that I normally do like later in the day. But like, you know, a few hours later, I could definitely feel it. Like the soreness was about the same in the arm. The only thing that was weird about that is about a um, like a day later, you know, maybe something like, you know, 40 hours later, something like that. I had this like weird lump in my arm. Like where the shot went in, and I, I talked to I talked to Tarek Patel, who's like our my resident doctor, you know, former magic yeah. player. He's like he's a he's a doctor. And I was like, hey, is this I normally like, yeah, it's good. Uh, <laughs> we, we play we play games online together and stuff, and I, I've bought stuff for him before. Well, I hope um, you're carrying him. <laughs> uh, at first maybe he's way better than I am now at the game that we okay. play. But uh, what was I going to oh, say? Man. So uh, speaking of being way better, let me finish your point, then I'll go into mine. Let me finish my point. Let you finish your point. Yeah. Yeah, sure. You you know what I meant to Uh, say. I had two beers before we started, Tannen, so it's going to be a loose show. Okay, sure. And so um, I asked him, like, yeah, is this normal? He's like, yeah, perfectly normal. It's like a reaction your body just has to that area or whatever. And so, like, it's been steadily going down for a few days. That's been lingering. But other than that, like, you know, just just what you hear. Like, I was kind of tired. I was kind of weak. I didn't really have appetite. And then that night when I went to bed, I was, like, kind of tired. And I did shiver a little bit, like you know, like I did get like I it's felt like feverish I had, symptoms. I felt like I had the lightest flu of all time, yeah, or the quickest flu, flu of all fluish time. symptoms. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I had a fever, like whatever. You know, I literally had the the shivers for a little bit. Like my wife got it way worse when when she got hers. You know, she had it for a while. Like I was literally like shaking in bed. Like I grabbed her and I was like, I need to be the little spoon. You know, I need you to like warm yeah. me up. You know, were you Moderna or Pfizer? Uh, Moderna. Okay, I'm I'm Pfizer. Isn't that the one with less supposedly less side effects or whatever? I haven't even, I haven't looked up you know huge differences beyond yeah, the, who cares? the timetable. Like Moderna's four weeks between doses and Pfizer's three, but yeah, who to cares? Me, just get it done. Know, basically yeah. the same. Yeah, yeah. At, at this point, um, and I will say this: um, my outlook and my like just general mental happiness has been higher. I think uh, over the last weekish since it's happened. I think it happens to a lot of people, you know. And we'll we'll see we'll see what happens. Um, I have a vacation planned. Nice. A little over a week. So uh, for that week, you know, you and I have had a chat. We might need to get somebody to replace me for that week because I'm going to be in Vegas for seven days, and it's going to be pretty hard for me to record from there without a computer. Sure. So we'll figure something out. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, we'll figure something out. I I agree. My, my my mental health has definitely been better recently, but that's more because I've been getting outside as the weather has improved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, which brings me into the point I, I brought up earlier. So 
Uh, you know, we play a lot of sports here in Roanoke. That's that's our thing. The Roanoke uh, Basketball League, yeah. Yeah, we've got the Roanoke Basketball League. I've been getting people into tennis. Like Anderson just bought a tennis racket for himself today. Good for him. Good for so him. So I don't have to loan him mine and have me play with a wooden racket. <laughs> uh, though that does even the playing field to, to some degree. That's kind of uh, And uh, I bought a pickleball set uh, like last week because they, they redid the what tennis is- court. What is pickleball? So, uh, so I actually, I, I, took, I, 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 I feel inadequate at this moment. So, so this is a pickleball paddle that I'm showing Tannen right now. You okay, don't see put it in front of your mouth. Don't put it in front of your mouth. <laughs> you when see how talking, it looks? Yeah. Yeah. You see how it looks like just a big ping pong paddle? Yeah. Yeah. It's just a big plank of wood. So, uh, you, we played on a tennis court. Technically the height difference, there's like a, an inch or two different, but who cares? Um, so it's like a, a tennis net. On about a badminton-sized court, so like half a tennis court maybe, uh, and you're hitting a wiffle ball, sort of a wiffle ball. It's it's got holes in it, not the long slits that wiffle balls have, but you know, same size okay. plastic ball, uh, and you're hitting it with those big ping pong paddles, uh, and you know there, there's a few unique rules to it, usually to to prevent net play, but it's really fun. Um, a little bit less running than tennis. Which makes it a little bit more of a, a good like intro racket sport, yeah, for for people that don't play tennis. <laughs> so I they they redid the tennis courts that are at the park near my apartment, which is where we have our local disc golf course, uh, one of the basketball courts we play at, and, and where we play tennis. And when they redid them, they painted uh, pickleball lines on the tennis courts, so they have both. So now we so I bought when I noticed that I bought a pickleball set. And we've been doing some pickleball. We got some tennis. We got disc golf. We got basketball. Like we, you know, we're, we're really trying to get outside, and it's awesome. But my point that I was going to bring up was that we recently, I've learned uh, in disc golf, which is of of all of the sports that we play, is relative to the, everyone else, is my worst one, right? Um, Another sport I want to pick up. Yeah, uh, and so, but I've I've learned that I have a really good forehand. You know, when you throw a frisbee, it's normally backhand, right? right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. so that's how that's how you, you go at it, and that's how most people throw. But uh, with disc golf discs, which are a little bit different than regular frisbees, uh, I throw a really good forehand. Mm-hmm. And so I've learned that anytime I'm driving, you know, for my first shot on every hole, and anytime I've got a good distance to me, like more than 200 feet or so, I'm throwing forehand every time, no matter what. And it's added 50 feet at least to my drive. You know, complete nice. just guys completely reshaped my pickleball game. So nice. I for the I came very close to beating Corey today, and he's easily the best disc golfer that we have in the group. Um, Not surprised. I was actually I was leading him by a stroke with two holes left. We are the local course is only nine holes, but with two holes left, I was leading him by a stroke. I the pressure got to me though. I choked the last two holes. I threw an eleven. He Damn. threw a seven. Uh, so I lost by three, but it was still my best round ever. I threw a 37, I think. Nice. Uh, nice. Par is 30, so I was seven over. Uh, you know, I would say before this, I would normally throw something in the low to mid 40s, right? So I was five to six strokes above that. And, you know, if my putt, now, this really improved my drive, and now I've got to really improve my putting. I, 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 threw, I threw away four strokes just putting today, and then I screwed up the last hole a little bit. I can definitely be like... Like I could have easily shot something like two over par, if with you know minor improvements. So I'm I'm feeling good about my disc golf game. I'm gonna go on a limb here and say, out of all the the people that you play with, 
you know who I wouldn't be surprised if if you all started playing disc golf and practicing. I I feel like Anderson to me just feels like someone who's going to be very good at that sport if he keeps at it. So Anderson is the one who definitely uh, takes it the most seriously. Like he really enjoys it and likes it a lot. He started yeah. like watching like pro disc golf and watching instructional mm-hmm. videos. He actually bought a couple extra discs today. Yeah. He then threw one over the dog park, uh, which is is tough. Um, so the the course basically runs around the perimeter of this park, and there's a bunch of fields mm. in the center. There's a dog park off to one side, and there's one hole that you're in the sort of center of the park almost. It's hole four, and you're throwing, uh, you know, b- dead straight with a slight dog leg to the left, and there's a drop in elevation. You're sort of throwing over a ridge towards the end, uh, and. It, if you kept go, if you do, if you basically throw it straight for like 500 feet, you're in the dog park. And on his second shot, when you're supposed to take that dog leg and turn, he hooked it way right. He just threw it straight and went. He went way. He went over the dog mm-hmm. park into the woods to the point where we even no one made an attempt to even find or locate the disc. Uh, it was just gone forever. Oh we, no! Like I. I've certainly thrown it in the road from there, like next to the dog park. I've thrown it even over the fence into the dog park and had to throw from it. No one has thrown it over the back fence of the dog park into the woods. Uh, so he, he had a rough day today. But I, I agree with you. Like An- Anderson is the one who's taking it seriously. He gets in his own head a lot. Like that, and it, this is true of every sport that we play. Like I, when he takes free, when he shoots free throws of basketball, when he's you know hitting anything with a racket. He just gets in his own head and doesn't like swing freely or throw freely. So I've taken it. It's my mission now to yeah. like get him out of his own head because he knows the technique. He's got the technique down as long as he just sort of, you know, clears his mind and just does it. Um, but if he gets in his own head, then he gets sort of choppy and it's not a very fluid motion. Uh, but he, he's he's going to be good eventually. It's just going to he's just got to get over the mental hiccups a little bit. Uh, and he's he's definitely got the, the tools. Uh, I'm glad he, that you're helping him. That was that was like a, a big thing for like you know golfers is the, the mental part of the game. And so I'm assuming it goes into into um, disc golf that like you know it's just yeah. you like there's a mental know, like, part for every sport. Yeah, but like you know it, it's it's unique in sports like golf, tennis. You know the sports where it's it's literally just you, magic. You know where like you can't. I mean, obviously, it's not the best analogy because we do have team events, but, you you know, things where you, like, you know, if you have an off-shooting night in basketball or, like, whatever, and, you know, like, your teammates can pick you up or whatever, right? I know it's it's different from every perspective, obviously. but Yeah, the, the psychology is definitely different individual versus team. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I can, just, I can just see him, like, in my mind when I think of all of you, like, obviously, Corey's going to be, like, you know, he's, like, the most athletic out of all of you, but yes, uh, I, I can just see Anderson LeClaire being good. Yeah, and uh, the fact that he also cares the most... Uh, he's also now the saltiest that I have just suddenly, you know, launched my game up three three notches. You know, it used to be that he would outdrive me every hole by, you know, 50 feet. And now I'm outdriving him. And just, uh, I I don't like, I don't know how it happens because I can't do it with a regular Frisbee, right? They're they're different. But I can do it with the disc golf disc, especially the driver, which has a very thin edge to it. So it cuts through the wind and carries um but it, it's it's just a thing now so I, i've i've made that adjustment adjustment to my game now i've just got to get my putting down and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm gonna be unstoppable 
you made me think of something that um you made me think of something that used to happen to me in athletics in high school uh like late in high school one of the only athletics that i still did was uh was golf you know and i was on i was on our our golf team and uh you know we had tryouts every year and the way tryouts would work is you would go with the group of guys you know whoever wanted to, to try out and you would play I think it was like two or three rounds, but not full rounds. I think we'd usually do just do like nine holes because it'd be like after school. You know, we'd go to the golf course. It's like down the street or whatever. And we'd play like nine holes. And I remember the second or third year in a row that I beat out this guy. I'm not going to I'm not gonna mention his name just in case someone, someone here you know, is listening that knows him. But I, there used to be the same guy every year that I, that I would beat out. And um, for anyone who's ever seen me in person, I am not the most imposing figure, right? Like, I'm not a very large human being, but I have a decent build for a golfer, right? Like, I'm tall, lanky, and lean, or whatever. But in high school, it was, like, way worse. I weighed about 20 to 30 pounds less than I do right now. You know, I was, like, 1% body fat, like that typical person. You know, I was, like, 120 pounds, 125 pounds. You know, I was wow. skinny, skinny. Yeah. And... Uh, I still hit the shit out of a golf ball for a guy my size, but like most of the skinny guys did, right? Now, when I tell you that I was the shortest guy on the team, I don't mean stature-wise. I was definitely bigger than like one or two of the other guys, like or at least taller. But like, there's maybe one guy that hit further than, but this guy was probably a club and a half longer than me. Oof. Like, like by a lot. He yeah. he was like six three and like solid. You know what I mean? Like he was a he was a big boy, right? And I remember the, I think it was like the third year in a row that like I made it and he didn't. For some reason, we always got, we always got paired. Like we were always playing together. I don't know what it was. Just, it's just the Probably way it was close in skill level overall, even though your, yeah. your games were different. I don't know what it is, but, and it's so funny too. If you watched us play, you'd be like, there's no way, right? You'd be like, watch him just destroy the ball. Right. And like me just, you know, boringly hitting it down the fairway and then like doing whatever. And you'd be like, yeah, that guy probably killed that dude. I'm like, no, I beat him by like five strokes or whatever, like, you know, four strokes. It's like the third year in a row that I beat him or whatever for it. I remember he he got mad finally. <laughs> like, and it, maybe it wasn't like, it wasn't like anger. It was maybe really like frustration coming through. And he's like, man, I just don't get it. Like, and that was kind of out of nowhere. You know, we're just walking off yeah. the green. I like shook his hand. I was like, hey man, good try. Maybe next year or whatever. He's like, I just don't fucking get it. And I'm like, I, I give him the inquisitive look. I'm like, like, what, what do you, what do you not get? You know, I'm like looking at the scorecard. Yeah. I'm like, did we, did we mess up by like four strokes? Or, it's not a long you know, drive like, competition, buddy. Yeah, and it's pretty much. He, he goes, I outdrive you by like. He goes, I outdrive you by forty yards or you know, thirty yards. You know, he's like, I outdrive you by this much. You know, blah blah blah. This. Blah. How, how many putts did you take? And I looked at him and like you know the kind of person I am and how I deal with people when it comes to that. You know that I'm, I I have immense patience when it comes to a lot of stuff. I'll be super nice even like sometimes when I shouldn't be. But you know that there's some times where either A, I just don't have the patience for it or B, I'm just going to be fucking real with you. Yeah, once you crack, you are blunt. I am very blunt. Yes, yeah. I will be an asshole. Yeah. And so I, I wasn't like harshly blunt, but I was just blunt with him. And I'm like, yeah, dude, you, you drive the ball so much further than I do. And he looks at me because he knows something else coming up. I'm like, but you know that a 300-yard drive and a three-foot putt count the same on the scorecard, right? And he looks at me and I'm like, the difference between you and I is I don't miss those. And like, you know, he just didn't have a short game. And I was the most boring guy ever to watch. I was not anywhere near as long as the other guys, but I had a good short game, like a really good short game for a kid my age because I practiced it every damn day. You know, I was out there, you know, taking 50 to 100 putts a day and, you know, chipping from all these. I carried an extra wedge in my bag. 
You know, I was like super wow. creative. Like I could hit, you know, you know the you know the flop shots you see those guys hit where they hit it like sh- they take a full swing and hit it like straight. I could yep. do all that stuff. I could hit a ball behind me if I needed to. I could do. I, I like the, the little crazy. punch shots where you take the wedge and you punch it and let it roll. Yeah, uh, it's called a bump and run, or you know, there's different yeah. different. Yeah, like, and that was the thing too is I carried four wedges, but I would also use my nine iron, my eight iron, my seven. I would use like literally the whole bag. Like I had a shot that I would use my three wood around the green, like depending on my lie and what I needed to do and like how far I needed the ball to go, et cetera. And I'm like, yeah, man, you're just like gripping it and ripping it. I'm actually playing the game, you know, like, yeah. there's, there's more to it, you know, and stuff. So I've been, it was uh, just funny. I've been trying to work on my, my serve in tennis because it's long been the weakest part of my tennis game. Uh, so actually today after our disc golf round, I brought my tennis stuff and, you know, uh, stayed behind every, every left. And I've got a, a hopper of tennis balls uh, and you know just hung around the tennis court hit serves for half an hour to an hour i am not good <laughs> every time i've ever done that my elbow i can't i can't lift my arm above my head the next day i get tennis elbow really nah. bad well i did it after playing around disc golf so you can imagine you're how my shoulder felt at the end i don't know you're probably loose and limber or whatever but yeah, i don't know you're we're getting old man it's, it's also you know when you get the technique down it's less in your shoulder with the serve, it's actually more my back, and it's mostly because yeah. my toss is too high. So I'm jumping to try to reach my own toss. Keep um, your arm closer to your body. Yeah, and again, that's that's an issue of the toss. If I'm trying to chase my tosses around because I'm throwing the ball everywhere, you know, I'm I'm gonna have that issue. So I, I've recognized the problem, and now it's just a matter of fixing it. I think that's the biggest problem that I have. It probably comes up in disc golf too. It, it definitely came up in golf, uh, pitching. Uh, what else? Like just a lot of things is. It's like, I kind of, you know, my arms would be too far out. A lot of people do this. I'm like, just keep your arms close to your body. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I actually tell that to Corey uh, in basketball when he's shooting. You know, what? Oh, when you're like flailing. So, no, uh, so you can, I can kind of show you here. You know, when you're shooting, you want to keep your, your forearm yeah. straight up and down, right? And you're like, yeah, I'm bad about that. I, I, I Co- kick it yeah, out. Yeah, Corey's like this. Yeah, he kicks the, the elbow. And I keep telling him, like, Corey, keep your elbow in. Keep your elbow in. The way I have to think about it mentally to make myself do it correctly, because I'm bad about having my, like, you know, I'm having my elbows wide when I shoot or whatever, is um, I want to make myself feel like when I'm shooting that I'm, like, throwing my arm elbow to to wrist at the goal, like, at the rim. And I want to feel that. And when I feel that, it makes me keep my elbow and, like, my, my stuff tucked in. But when it's out here, I feel like I'm shooting up and then my wrist is shooting the ball, which is, like... Probably more inaccurate and like just not. It just, I definitely don't shoot the ball the way control. I need to. Yeah, I don't shoot. Yeah, and so it's been a while. I was I was a shooting guard, but it's been a while since I've played. I mean, so. When it comes to the Roanoke Basketball League, I I've realized my niche. I'm the best shooter that we have, right? That's what I do because I'm the, the shortest. Videos per- y'all posted were great, by the way. Yeah, I'm basically the shortest person around. You know, Todd and I are probably similar height now that he's playing. You know, maybe some other players are, are about him, by the, the, the same height as me. And, um, but you know, I, I don't have a great handle. That's something I want to work on. Uh, and I'm not good, you know, finishing around height. I, I get swatted when I go inside a lot, <laughs> but well, you play I, with a lot of people who are like six, four. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, and, and you know, that's, that's going to be a problem. So I've got to learn, you know, I've got to learn some, some sort of high arcing shots that that's my next some thing. Humility. Yeah. Yeah. Humility. And stay out of the lane. <laughs> and also I've got, I'm get, at the point where everybody closes out really hard on me because I shoot a lot <laughs> and, and they know it. Uh, so I've got to start getting the pump fake, a good pump fake into my game where I can either, you know, pump fake sidestep, take the shot or pump fake drive and finish your dish. Right. Uh, 
uh, we're, we're getting to that. Like, this is the point where sports are fun. You know, when you first start playing and, and no one is skilled in any way, you're just kind of just throwing stuff at the wall. And it's still fun, right? Because, you know, you know you're just playing sports and, and it's a good time. But it gets really fun for me when you start to recognize discernible skill advantages and disadvantages and doing things to try to exploit them. Mm-hmm. Right? No, 100%. And that, that, we're, we're getting there with basketball now. You know, we played a lot last summer. We're going to play a lot more this summer. Uh, you know, we're hoping that like next winter we can we can join a league and do it safely. That's our goal. Uh, I think you should next winter. Yeah, I th- I think it should be like with the the CDC guidelines getting pulled back a yeah, little bit we'll, and stuff. I think we'll we'll see how it chance. goes. You know, we're, a good chance. We're, we're optimistic, but you know, we're, we're not going to be reckless about it. Uh, but it'll be nice to be able to play over the winter. You know, the first we played for the first time in late March, I think. So you know, about a month ago now. And it was rough. You know, I tweeted about it, <laughs> making fun of just how bad we were. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's gotten a lot better in the last month, uh, you know, and it'll continue to get better. And I'm also looking forward with with all the racket sports. I'm, I'm the best racket sport person in the group because I played in high school. I just, you know, you know, I probably have thousands more hours than everyone else with a tennis racket in my hands and with, you know, a badminton racket, any, any sort of racket. And so, you know, certainly the best there, but Corey is not far behind. Um, and, uh, you know, so I think once we get some of the others a, a little more up to speed, we can have some good doubles matches where Corey is on one team, I'm on one team, and we each take another person. Um, so that, that'll be fun. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I just love, I just being outside has felt so good. Like, I, it, it was rough over the winter. Yeah, yeah. Just being, yeah, I, even with you two living alone, I, I couldn't imagine myself going through that i i need to have like human contact stuff so um anyway do you want to like get into talking about some magic let's do it you know it's been two weeks it's a little it's under one week since the technical release but really a week and a half because they release it on arena a week early now um and we've seen at this point i i we've had we've had two weekends of tournaments on arena one of them focused on standard one on historic I think we historic first, then standard. And then this past weekend on MTGO, we had challenges with modern and pioneers. So we've seen Strixhaven now in all four of those formats, um, as well as Legacy and, and Limited. So a good, well-rounded initial view of Strixhaven at this point. And so that's what we're going to talk about. First point, standard. I know that uh, both you and I were a little bit more optimistic from the early days of the preview season about Strixhaven's potential in standard. Whoops. The first weekend was not um, um, auspicious. Yeah. that's We'll put it that way. The, the best decks at the end of last season were, you know, uh, Soltai Ultimatum, Teamer Adventures, Mono Red Aggro, Demir Rogues. Those are the best decks now. <laughs> yeah, big big surprise. No yeah. real shake up there. Um, Maybe there's some slight changes. I've seen some Sultai decks playing one Professor Onyx. I know Brad Nelson doesn't think that's good. I read his article. I would generally trust him. Uh, you know, those are the kind of adjustments that are happening. Mono Red did get a, a, some small upgrades. They're playing Hall Monitor now as another one drop. Yeah, which Hall is Monitor good. shown up as like actually being relevant and good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some of them are also playing Conspiracy Theorist, which is a card I like, but is obviously matched up poorly against Stomp. That card is showing up in Legacy, by the way. So Oof. I, I do think that like th- that's obviously a card that runs away with the game quickly. Mm-hmm. Like it, 
you generate it effectively just draws a card for a mana. Yeah. If your deck is built correctly. It just makes when, your cards cost one more, but you get to draw cards and stuff. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's an interesting way to put when, it. Yeah. When it attacks, you can pay one to draw a card. Like that's yeah. that's mostly what it does when yeah. when your deck is built correctly. So and that's that's pretty good, right? Uh, so yeah. w- I think we're going to see more of that card. I think we'll definitely see more once Stomp rotates. Uh, but that's an option. You know, s- small adjustments here and there. I know I've been high on Plum the Forbidden and Sedgemore Witch. They didn't show up in week one. But I have some hope for them moving forward. I, I think a lot of the issue is you could basically put that shell with any color combination. Like there's there's cards that work in every color. You can opt and see so get Stormcaller. You can play all the white Magecraft cards and go full on Magecraft. You can play all the red cards for Racto Sacrifice. You can play Lovestruck Beast and Witherbloom Apprentice in green. You can play any three color variant you want and the mana is workable because you're not hyper aggressive. So there's a lot to work out there. So I still think there's some potential there. I'm I'm holding out hope, but for the most part, standard is the same. So mm-hmm. get fucked. Yeah, as I was gonna say, I'm a little disappointed so far, but maybe it's just gonna be like a slow creep. And I'm I'm not saying it's gonna happen, but you just keep seeing people on Twitter saying it over and over again. Can we just get rid of Eldraine? Like I'm getting really tired of seeing some sets for what is it, 18 months or something like that being legal. Uh, well, actually, the fall set is legal for two years, right? And that, that would be Eldraine, right? And, and it's, it's the summer sets that are, like, the, the summer set is legal for 15 months, and the fall set is legal for 24. Yeah, I'm getting sick of it already. I think most people are. And, and the way that the double rotation that they did very briefly has every set legal for 18 months, you know, give or take, given, you know, the small variance yeah. in when sets are actually released. Yeah, and I... I Maybe it's time we revisit it, or maybe it's time we just make an exception for exactly this one. So I'm I'm not sure. I mean, I, I wrote an article arguing for banning Edgewalton Keeper and Bonecrusher Giant. I would be amenable to just getting rid of Throne. We've actually, uh, you know, every now and then we have some weeks where there's not a ton going on competitively for verses, and we have, you know, that's when we get to you know come up with the fun and creative shows. And one of the ideas that we have kicking around is just play standard without Throne. Uh, we just haven't had an opportunity to do it, uh, but it's definitely one that's in the back of our mind. And if we have an opportunity, we certainly will. Uh, you know, and we—that was an idea we had three months ago, and I think it was raised by one of our viewers. That like they just somebody just tweeted at us one day, and we're like, "That's a fucking great idea. We'll yeah, keep well, that in mind." That. It's our show. We'll do it live. We'll do whatever we <laughs> yeah. want. Yeah, yeah. So I will say this: you know, while Stainer kind of sucks, um, you know, people talked about what might get the biggest impact from Strixhaven, when I think all of us thought the biggest impact impact of format for Strixhaven would be historic. And boy, were we just like wrong again? Like, it, it, I don't know, maybe things just haven't changed too much yet or whatever, but it seems to me like it hasn't really had as much of an effect with like specifically the mystical archive stuff. Yeah. So I think that what, what is happening here is not that the mystical archive isn't having an impact. It's that, the cards that were getting the most hype from the Mystical Archive aren't having the impact, and other cards are. You know, okay. we're seeing Mystical Archive cards. We're seeing Inquisition calls like Memory Lapse, Abundant Harvest, Brainstorm, Faithless Looting. All of those cards are making a pretty significant impact. And I, I think we kind of saw this coming, right? Because, like, these are the ones that I expected to be impactful, right? The really good, cheap spells, right? Yeah. Like, and then people were like, oh, what about, like, all these, like, super, you know, expensive, broken What if things? we cast like, Time Warp? I'm like... 
Yeah, I'm like, you're dead. You're fucking <laughs> dead. <laughs> like, right, and if you're not dead yet, you're definitely dead once I mystical dispute your fucking time warp. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you know, we we did see a lot of hype be- behind the time warp decks, and like they're cool and everything. But like in this format, like I don't know how you're playing that deck when like people are like either killing you or putting you in a position where like you can take four turns in a row and it's still not good enough. Yeah, in a lot of these games. And I know it's you know it's one tournament, right? It's very small sample sizes. You know, and the and the inside esports event, Simic taking turns was like the seventh most played deck. There was something like seven people playing it, and it went four and seventeen in non mirror yeah. matches. I am not an expert, Ross. I am not a scientist when it comes to match analysis, but that is not good. Yeah, I cannot recall a time where a deck was so bad after having enough hype. To where people were working on decks, trying to tune them. A good number of people in the tournament played them, right? This wasn't just two or three people. Uh, granted, seven isn't that much more. Again, small sample sizes. It reminds me of, uh, what was it, like, about a, I think a, it was, like, early in the pandemic, and it was, like, the Doom Foretold deck or whatever. It specifically, yeah, yeah. It, won, it won, like, 30% of its matches or something. Yeah, in standard. That was last yeah. That was last fall. Yeah. Uh, well, if, time if has no it. meaning. Yeah, if you can believe I can't, it. I, yeah. They, but they, you're and that deck never really recovered, right? Like it's it's mm-hmm. not a it's not a good sign, you know. It can't be a good sign. And if the and if you think there's still hope for this shell, the takeaway should be you got to do something else, right? Uh, if you keep running this back, I don't know what you're doing. And honestly, like I had some, I honestly had some hope for it too. Um, but ultimately, like it's pretty clunky in a format that has a lot of the same cheap disruption that modern has, you know, it doesn't have force of negation, but it has thoughts. He's an inquisition. Now it has mystical dispute, memory lapse, a lot of good counter spells. It has decks that have a pretty good clock. It has decks that have a good clock and are resilient. Like Orzov auras. Like this is a deck where it's hard to be that kind of big, resilient, non-interactive deck. This is the, this is a kind of deck like Scapeshift. Right, that's where I think of the taking turns deck. Where if you're playing a slow game plan, Scape Shift has a really good end game. At, mm-hmm. the, at the very least, it's going to kill you with lands, right, which are difficult to interact with. Uh, yeah. And the Scape Shift decks have always, uh, at least the the Gruul Scape Shift decks, like Primeval Titan Scape Shift decks, not the the blue Scape Shift decks, which are glorified control decks that haven't been relevant in years. But the the Gruul Scape Shift decks have always been very good against opposing fair decks. And very poor against other non-interactive decks because they they sacrifice speed for resilience, and that's where these Simic decks look to me. The, the taking turns decks, they're not that fast. You know, they can kill turn four probably at the best, maybe turn five. Um, so they're not that far behind, but they're enough behind to create a pretty significant deficit. And I honestly just don't think they're resilient enough to make that sacrifice in speed worthwhile. I think when people know about them and when people are playing discard spells and counter spells as they do in this format, or just good aggro decks like Gruul that we saw have a pretty good weekend, although I played it on Versus today and it was fucking horrific. Holy shit. Spoiler alert, by the way. Uh, For me, one of the most surprising things when it comes to Historic with the Mystical Archive cards is, like, you know, we kind of knew which ones were going to be good. I am... I would not have been surprised if, like, Time Spiral or Natural Order found some deck where I'm like, yeah, these cards are just very powerful magic cards, so I'm not surprised that they did something good somewhere. But the one that's surprising to me 
even though like we did hear hype behind it, you know, you and I definitely liked this card. That is Abundant Harvest because this is a card that we don't have experience with, unlike every other Mystical Archive card, right? You know, this isn't a reprint. In fact, uh, I think a lot of people, I I've been telling people this and they're surprised that this card isn't a magic set. It just hasn't been printed yet. This card is in Modern Horizons 2. And, you know, it, it kind of just, that just kind of apparently missed a lot of people. I don't remember how I found this out, but like, you know, I'm not going to be like, oh, I'm smart and I just know this, but like, it's, this is a card that is in a magic set that we're just getting kind of future shifted, you know, like kind of thing, you know, like, like into the set. And this card has been doing some stuff. It looks good. I'm super excited to see what this card is going to do in modern in the oh, future. I think oh, this card is going to be good. Yeah, no, I, likewise, I, I'm excited to see it in modern. To me, like when I read the text of this card and I evaluated it as a one mana cantrip relative to one mana cantrips that we're used to, I thought this looks awesome. But my expectations were tempered by the fact that it was green. Uh, now, normally, when you get a kind of unique effect in a color that doesn't normally get it, you're extra, you're even more excited. But in this case, like, cantrips usually play well with other cantrips, and then you synergize with these kind of magecraft abilities, Young Pyromancer, Arclight Phoenix, stuff like that. Um, so you usually want to stack them on top of each other. And then it gets awkward when it, one of them is in another color because your mana base gets significantly worse. So my, my expectations during previous season were a little bit tempered by the fact that it was a green card. I wasn't sure if it was going to find a home, uh, but we saw Zansayed make the top eight of the Inside Esports event playing Teamer Phoenix, where he was basically splashing just for this. Yeah. He had some Clothis in the uh, sideboard. He had Lovestruck Beast in his deck as well. Yeah, like he's got some green cards floating around somewhere, but like he, if if it wasn't for Abundant Harvest, those other green cards wouldn't have been there. Like he, right, he would exactly. have been in his deck, or he would have played like something this, else. I think it's really smart, right? Because we kept talking about this this deck, and it's like you need the super cheap uh, cantrips, right? And like, yeah, you got you got Brainstorm, you got Faithless Looting, but like not having like Serum Visions along with Opt. You know what I mean? Like not having because like when I think about the yeah. modern version, the fully it's a critical version, mass. Yeah, there's a critical mass of the, and Zan found a way to make that happen. He just, you know, changed the mana base a little bit, changed up a few things. He's a very smart magic player, by the way. I've watched him stream this a ton. You know, because he he makes Zan isn't the kind of person to yell over you, right? He's not the kind of person to be like, yo, this deck is broken, like out of nowhere, right? When he says that, he's actually putting the time and the effort for it. He's not the kind of person to play look at a deck. Or play one game with it and tell you like overarching, uh, like demonstration, like yeah, hyperbole, grand hyperbole statements. Like when he says that, it's like yeah, I've played forty matches and I'm thirty and ten or something yeah. like that. You know, I'm and like I've gone through multiple eight. iterations and I've yeah. thought through all the matchups and you know, it's not just the forty matches I played this deck. Like my building of this deck was informed by the hundred other matches I played with three other decks that led me to thinking this deck would be a good choice. Yeah, that's the stuff Zan, I think Zan is good at. Uh, I think his his greatest strengths as a player lie in deck selection and deck tuning. And it's wrong uh, preparation and, and practice. Yeah, uh, yeah I completely agree. And in this case, you know, you know, you don't normally think of that being a strength early in a format, but he put the work in and he built a good deck. I, you know, I watched him stream with it. I know I'm not a big fan of Dreadheart Arcanist with Phoenix, but the way his deck plays out is a little bit different. Like, it's not a turbo Phoenix deck. It's more of an Arcanist deck first, where Phoenix yeah. is sort of part of the grindy element that you win with late game. And once you, uh, you know, sort of refocus your perspective on the deck in that way, it, it makes sense, and it works. 
Uh, I think the deck, I think his build is good. I, th I think the deck is good. I'm still not a fan of his memory lapses that were in his deck. Uh, but the core of it, uh, uh, you know, makes a lot of sense to me once I had that realization. And, uh, you know, Abundant Harvest is, is a really big part of it. And, you know, I said this on Versus Live today, where when you think about cantrips, you think about consistency. That's why they're in your deck. Other yeah. than the different synergies that you play, you know, Magecraft and and stuff like that, Prowess. Outside of those synergies, like you put Opt in your deck so that you can more consistently find your land drops early and find your key spells late. And, you know, Opt and Ponder and all of these good one-mana cantrips and two-mana cantrips help you do that. Abundant Harvest is the best there has ever been printed at providing that kind of consistency. It always hits the land early when you need it. It always yeah. hits the spell when you need it. It might not hit the right spell. It might not hit the right land. But if you know it's going to hit a land, you know, say say you're a deck with with 14 red sources, right, in your team or Phoenix deck, and you're and you're short a red source, but you're a 22 land deck. If you cast this card and name land, uh, you know, say you have two lands, so you have 20 left, you're 70%. You're 14 out of 20. Because you can you can literally just discount. Imagine that your deck has no non no non lands in it, right? The math works out the same. Just take them out. Now you have twenty lands left in your deck. Fourteen of them are red sources. You're fourteen out of twenty to hit. That's seventy percent. Yeah, which is going to be higher than any other cantrip yeah. that's been printed before in a spot. You know, it's higher in Serum Visions, seeing technically three cards. It's higher than Brainstorm because you're guaranteed to hit the land that you need, and then from there. Is it the lands you need of the lands that are available? I think you would need a cantrip that looks at four cards. Not not like Ponder's kind of fake four cards where you look at three and then get the reshuffle. Like actually looks four deep to approach that kind of consistency. So it really is sort of like looking at four cards. Uh, I I did the math roughly in my head there, so don't quote me on that. Um, but I, I definitely have no idea, so don't ask me at all. It, well, it, it, it turns out if, if your expected value is about one, your probability is usually about two-thirds. Um, yeah, sure. I'm just going to always nod when you start doing the math on the show. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I'm the feel player. You're the math player. We've, we've established a long time ago. I think that ratio changes based on the size of your library, but I haven't delved deeply into that problem. Um, you know, so that's my, that's my sort of back of the napkin uh approximation but my back of the napkin math is usually pretty good yeah now there was a card that you mentioned in there that i think is also having some big waves in historic and what is in for what maybe my vote just for like best deck in historic or the deck that i would probably play a good bit right now because i like the way that it plays and you mentioned memory lapse being uh used i mean being you know coming to the format from the mystical archive and i thought this card might show up somewhere in like a tempo deck or whatever blah, 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 but like Boy, did I not realize how good that card is in blue black rogues. Yeah, holy I, crap! I kind of didn't didn't see that either, and it, well, it, it, it it's great. <laughs> it, it, it harkens back to me that like, you know, I talk a lot to uh, to Scooter. You know, everybody knows Scooter two two two. And I talk a lot to him. And I remember when Rogues first started being a deck, he would send me a new list every day, and he's like. If you ever play standard, you're gonna love this deck because this is like your kind of magic. And I'm like, yep, this looks exactly yeah. like the deck that I would play. Right? It's basically fairies, but in 2021. Right. And so I love it. And now it has even an extra layer of like harking back to some of my favorite things because my favorite deck of all time were like the the Restoration Angel, like Augur of Bolas, Snapcaster Mage, and Spell stacks that you know did a whole lot of nothing, and you just kind of grinded your gears and you eventually win. Yep. But one of my favorite things to do with cards that I couldn't deal with was to Azuria's Charm, like a creature at the top of their deck, and then Thought Scour them. 
right? And then it was so funny when people wouldn't realize it. They would draw their car for the next turn, and then they'd be like, wait, why didn't I draw the, oh, yeah, I got thought scoured over there. It's cute. <laughs> and, like, you can do this now with any card in their deck by memory lapsing it and then just simply either attacking or casting certain rogues. It just mills the deck. So it's, it also acts as, like, a pseudo-removal spell as well. So, like, even It just turns it into straight counterspell at that point. Like, yeah. you're, you're literally casting counterspell for colors and a blue. Yeah, and so it's, like, easier to cast than counterspell, too. And then there's there's also the added added bonus of it where, like, people are like, oh, what if, you know, what if it's a spell that doesn't matter? I'm like, that's good, too, because now you just cast Time Walk. My favorite thing in the world is a memory lapsing a spell that was going to be good enough to win the game that turn, but is not even close to good enough to winning the game the following turn. Or, or it's, like, a spell they need to cast, and you're like, you're going to spend next turn casting this shit, too. Yeah, you know, like it, it's like when you have a two-turn clock and they're casting their card draw spell, assuming they're like, okay, I'm going to take one more hit, go down to four, and I'm going to hope I hit my sweeper and kill them. And you're like, okay, memory lapse of the card draw spell, and they're just like, oh, I'm dead. I don't even get one more shot at ripping my wrath of God. In the players that are like really good at these kinds of decks, you're going to see them figure out all the little different ways to cast memory lapse for value here. It's like when you watch people with Delver's, you know, Delver decks, like you see them daze weirdly or force of will strangely in some spots because I'm like, uh, because, you know, they, they understand that it doesn't need to be this big game ending part, right? Like you can get the little stuff, like you said, like it makes the card, you know, a little bit better in this certain situation because it doesn't even need to be a card's worth of value. Yeah, exactly. And so you'll see that you'll see the people do what looks weird or suboptimal in some spots, and then you realize, no, that's just a good play from this point, and they're getting the maximum value of the card that they can get in that spot and stuff. So, uh, yeah, that deck, I've got I've got some hype behind it. I think there's a lot of people. I think if there was a tournament, like a wasn't it so fitting that Yuta Takahashi was the first person who won that first tournament with it, and you're just like, yeah, yeah, of course Yuta did that. Like, you know, he's been literally yeah. playing Demir uh, Fairies in modern when it was not good and sometimes winning with it too like you know winning way more than anyone would expect him to and just keeps doing it keeps doing it and now they've literally given him actual fairies but updated for a 2021 and i would be deathly afraid of that man for the next year like i do not want to get paired against him ever (laughs) little little known fact about him he actually lives in watery grave (laughs) <laughs> like, that's where he, like when if you wanted to send him fan mail you would address it to the watery grave that's where yeah. that man lives and maybe a, like a polluted delta as well depending on what format but. yeah two two three four polluted delta lane in watery yeah, lane, grave exactly yeah there you go he he knows what's up now you know we talked a little bit about historic and stuff have you seen what's been going on in some of these other formats like i'll say this uh, Pioneers had some really cool stuff going on in it. And, you know, you have some theories about why some of these decks are making comeback. But I will say this. I'm super excited about what's going on in Pioneer. It might actually play some of it myself uh, in a very near future because of one specific thing. Do you know what it is, Ross? I, I don't. What uh, is it? Torrential Gear Hulk is, like, oh, becoming quickly. Is. Oh, like I, the, knew, the, I knew that. I, I had yeah. temporary amnesia. It's, it, I thought this would happen a little bit more historic, but it's starting to happen a lot in Pioneer, where T- Torrential Gearhawk is becoming one of the most important creatures, because A, the blue-black control deck was already good before this set, but people started to realize how good Magma Opus is, along with Torrential Gearhawk. And so you're seeing decks, uh, you know, you're seeing like Grixis, you're seeing like uh, just straight blue-black control having Magma Opus in their deck, because they can, you know, cast it back with Gearhawk. But here's the other thing in this card. You can do the discard ability in Magmobus whenever you want. So you can leave up all your interaction on turn two, right? And then if your opponent doesn't do anything, you can just rampant growth, kind of. You know, you can give yourself a Lotus Petal with, like, upside later. 
you know, you have this Central Gear Hulk to get this card back. But this allows you to start, you know, doing some of your four mana stuff a little bit sooner. And I'm looking in this deck, you know, I'm seeing Behold the Multiverse. You know, I'm seeing, you know, Dig Through Time happening faster. Uh, you know, making sure that you get your double blue or your double black. You know, you're seeing cards like Hagamalling in here. You know, you get to cycle a Shark Typhoon for a little bit more. You know, just little things. Or you have four mana on turn three now where you can do two of your two mana spells, which is a big deal as well. Because, like, now you're kind of making sure you keep up with these really fast decks that have cards that cost a little bit less than you. And this, you know, gets you into the game a little bit more. Yeah, maybe now you go, like, foretell my behold. Oh, you made me interact. Play a two-mana removal spell next turn. Play my fourth land. Play a two-mana interaction. Cast behold. And now I'm feeling like I'm pretty far ahead. Yeah, and it's just really cool. You know, it helps you cast Extinction Event a turn sooner. It helps you cast Shadows Verdict a turn sooner, which is, like, huge. I remember in Standard when we used to play, you know, a lot of these two-mana artifacts, like, you know, Mind Stone, or uh, what was the cycle of them? Uh, the they're they're in the cube. I literally just blanked on them. You know, they're signets? two mana. Yeah, the signets. And you'd play them in your control deck just so you could Wrath of God on three. You yeah, know, it was like, like a uh, Solar Flare, right? Yeah, was, Solar Flare. Like you want it, it helps fix your mana too because you're like Asper yeah. or whatever. You pitched but, the like, extra ones to Thirst for Knowledge. You had that little yeah. Zombify engine. If if y'all don't know what's don't remember what Solar Flare was, which was a deck in like 2005, 2006. Uh, you know, Google it. It was it was a it was a more of a mid range deck or maybe a tap out control deck, you might say, um, with Signets, Thurston Knowledge, Zombify, you know, Dragons. They they were reanimating like Kaiga and Yose. Uh, it's been a while. I don't remember exactly what the list looked like. They were Esper, uh, but it was you know it was a good deck for a while in Standard uh, and really showed people the power of Signets. That was that was honestly the deck. Like ter- it was like turn two. Uh, oh no, it wasn't Thirst Knowledge, it was Compulsive Research, right? Because it was turn two Signet, turn three, float three mana, play a bounce land, Compulsive Research, discard the land that I bounced. Uh, that that was that was the ticket. Okay. I wasn't going to correct you there, I was going to let you... you know, I, fi- I figured it out, I figured it out. Yeah. I'm but two and a half beers deep, Tana, you got to give yeah, me a little leeway. I'm looking specifically at a few lists and stuff that I've seen. I've seen um, blue-black decks splashing green, I've seen straight blue-black, I've seen splash red... You know, I'm looking at the ones that are just straight blue-black. They even play something like, they'll play like a, a River Glide pathway and a Blight Set pathway in their deck, just so if the weirdest thing happens, they can cast Magma Opus as the game goes on. Also, Magma Opus helps you cast the next Magma Opus too, because you can generate red off the treasure. So sometimes you only need that one source of red, because you don't need to cast this card too many times to kill your opponent, because, you know, I was talking to one of my friends about this. If you Gear Hulk, like, on turn six in their upkeep, and you, like, tap down two of their lands, kill their thing, draw two cards, and, like, make a 4-4 four, four or whatever. That is turning the corner at an absurd rate out of control. Of yeah. Like, you, you've got nine power on the battlefield. Your opponent is probably shocked at some point in the game. They're at 18. Like, you have a two-turn clock <laughs> and a full grip. And yeah. they're doing nothing on their turn. Yeah, they're dead. And so you also get to divide the four damage, too. So if they're, like, you know, going wide on you. You can kill multiple things. Like, there's all kinds of, you know, crazy stuff that you can do. This is a card that, you know, I had high on my list, and I'm going to be pretty high on it for a while. I love this kind of card. It's it's my kind of magic. And, like, when I'm looking at this list, I'm just seeing how much, like, they're, they're digging into it and doing all this cool stuff. But, like, I'm seeing a card in here that blew my mind when I first saw it. And I don't know if it's good or not, but I can see why they have it. They have a port of Carafel in here. This is a card that came up in Kaldheim uh, Limited. So it's it's a land that comes into play tapped. It just taps for blue. But it has an ability on it where you can pay three blue, black, black. And you can sacrifice it to mill four cards and return a creature card from your, battlefield, from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. So this allows you 
just have a land up that puts a gear hulk from your yeah. graveyard into play at instant speed so you just be like do you, do you want to play something i'll just sacrifice my land and put this gear hulk in play and like i'll either yeah sinister sabotage your spell <laughs> nice or duress idiot <laughs> yeah nice duress like nice nice whatever like nice thing killing my gear hulk you know also you know you have search for his content these decks too so you're like milling over your magma opuses uh, you're milling over your torrential gear hulks and getting some value and stuff out of them as well. I don't know if you can tell at home how excited I am, but I need a new pair of pants after reading this yeah. uh, this deck list. My, my thing with Magma Opus um, is a, a, an interesting bit of, of magic theory that I think is uh, often overlooked. And it goes to how magic is different now than it was in, you know, say the late 90s, early 2000s. You know, in in those early days, it was card advantage that was king. Games were played on, on that axis almost exclusively. There were some aggro decks around. You know, you had to be wary of them. But the, the best decks were you either broken combo decks, you know, just taking advantage of fundamentally broken individual cards, or they were, you know, control decks that were just stopping everything your opponent was doing and drawing a million cards. Trading on a one-for-one -one basis until your opponent had nothing left. That has stopped being a thing, and the default, uh, not entirely stopped being a thing, but stopped being the default best thing. Right, yeah, yeah. And the most common explanation is because, you know, creatures are better than answers, or threats are better than answers. And that's part of it. Um, but there's a there's a more subtle aspect to, the, to why the balance of power has shifted, and the game has shifted into a more tempo-based game as opposed to a card advantage-based game, uh, certainly in standard, but even so in other formats as well. And it's the fact that um, the disparity in power level between individual cards is much wider than it used to be. You know, if you think back to those days... I think the canonical deck that I think of of that early era is Bueller Blue, the mono blue control deck that was just a million good counterspells. There was just so many of them that were good. You know, Dismiss, Forbid, Actual Counterspell, you know, Memory Lapse might have been in that deck, I'm not sure. Force Spike might have been in it. There, there's a million good counterspells. And they were mana efficient enough, along with some powder kegs, to be able to just trade for people's stuff because the creatures weren't good. And so you were able to just trade one for one so effectively all the time. And that's what makes card advantage good. Because when you generate card advantage, the only thing you want to do is trade one for one with your opponent. Because you, you're up on cards. So if you trade one for one enough when you're ahead, eventually they have nothing and you have something. And that's an overwhelming advantage. But now, we have cards that are worth so much more than an individual card. And Planeswalkers might be the canonical example of it. But cards like Magma Opus are also a great example you know, you're getting a 4-4, four, four, you're getting four damage divided as you choose. That's at least a card, sometimes two or more. And you're getting, you know, just two straight cards out of it. You know, this is like a five for one. Cruel Ultimatum is also a really good historical example of this. You know, individual card that is just worth so much. And so the game becomes around, you know, resolving those cards or resolving key threats and ending the game with your good creatures. And that that's the, you know, creatures are better than threats example. Um, and... It's when that you have that disparity that you're able to play the tempo game. And that now we're, we're able to do that because there are individual cards that are powerful enough. Now, the issue with cards like Magma Opus is that power level comes at a cost. It costs eight mana. And so it's hard to put a lot of eight mana cards in your deck. Because if you draw too many of them early, you're going to get tempoed out and die. 
Yeah, like the cruel ultimatum problem, like you have yeah. it in your opening hand, like you never want it there. Yeah. Yeah. So decks, you know, back in the day when you think about those cruel control decks, they played two, maybe three cruel ultimatums. They certainly yeah, didn't three play four. Was like the max. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was two to three. Uh, but Magma Opus is a card that, if you look at the decks that, from the last two weeks, they're playing four, and it's because of that second ability, being able to use it early and just make a treasure. Yeah, it might not be worth a full card. Sometimes it might not be, you know, it might not be actively good, but it's offset by the fact that once the game goes long, you've, your deck is juiced. You've got all these Magma Opuses left to draw into, and you're so favored, and your deck is built to get to that long game. You know, the entire rest of your deck is this cheap, like, cheap removal, cheap counter spells, sweepers. And then you've got these Torrential Gear Hulks and Magma Opuses left. And when you're building these kind of control decks in the modern era, it's not just about putting all of the best counter spells in your deck. It's about balancing and making sure that you have enough early game to stop the hyper-aggressive decks, but also enough late game that when you get there, you're consistently advantaged. And Magma Opus is a really, really good card for... Uh, finding that balance and consistently hitting that balance with a random draw in the course of the game. Because when you draw it early, it's accelerating you into a sweeper. It's accelerating you into a good threat in the mid game. It's, you know, giving you extra mana so you can double spell on a turn when your opponent did nothing. So when they set up for something more devastating, you're ready to win the counter war or you're ready to kill two threats that they play on one turn, you know, and then when you draw it late, it's obviously a really powerful card when you hard cast it. So you know, I was skeptical initially of Magma Opus because I honestly wasn't sure if the 8-mana mode was going to be good enough. But I did recognize that uh, the fact that raising the floor on an expensive spell is really valuable because it's the floor that is the problem for expensive spells when they clog your opening hand. And as it has turned out, Magma Opus is a really impactful spell. <laughs> so, you know, if you had told me that, like, you guarantee this card is going to be really impactful. You know, it, it does more than you think it does, even though it, it does read pretty well, obviously. Uh, but I was being a little bit pessimistic about it in the early days of preview season. And if you, you know, listen to our show from three weeks ago, I think that comes through. Uh, but now seeing it in play, having seen it on versus live a bit, seeing it in tournaments, uh, you know, this is just a really good magic card. Yeah. I, I'm just a, I was a huge fan of like over, I'm like the, the, the Sahin Sharani, uh, kind of version of you know, the big overpriced instance of sorceries. Love them. Um, it's my kind of thing I like to do or whatever, blah, 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 but it's good. Uh, I like it. We know that we could spend forever on this. There's some other decks doing pretty well in Pioneer that you're a little surprised at, and you might have a theory why. It's 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 kind of your baby, so I was very interested to hear what you were going to say about Arclight Phoenix. Well, this is not even you know related to the Mystical Archive. We've seen Arclight Phoenix decks in Pioneer for the last month or so, I would say, and the surprising thing to me is like they're not different than the Arclight Phoenix decks we saw, you know, even when Pioneer was announced as a format. You know, if you think back, I, I know Ryan Ert Overturf played a lot of them. I actually played a good bit myself. Yeah, and, and you know, they, they were using Treasure Cruise. They still are. And everyone thought, like, oh, it's an Arclight Phoenix deck. It's playing four Treasure Cruise. Like, this deck is going to be busted. Okay. Arclight Phoenix was supposed to be the deck that got Treasure Cruise banned in those early days when uh, cards were getting banned every week, right? And it just never happened. The deck just didn't perform. And, you know, they, they didn't get another one-mana cantrip. They're playing, it looks to me, like all the same cards, maybe in a slightly different form. Like, they got Brazen Borrower with Throne of Eldraine. That's not a huge upgrade, but it's nice. But right now, they're winning a lot. I see them all the time in top eights of challenges and other tournaments. And I, I honestly, like, I don't really get it. My only p 
potential theory is that Pioneer is right now the most neglected format in all of Magic, and neglected formats usually just allow people to win with, with whatever the hell they want to play. And as soon as a tournament rolls around that forces people to min-max it, those kind of decks fall by the wayside, which is what we saw with that, those early Pro Tour events after Theros Beyond Death in Pioneer. And so I'm, I'm skeptical of them, but I just keep seeing them. And that, that's sort of my thing. I, I, I keep seeing them. It really, it kind of baffles me because they just don't, they're, they're not, it's the same deck, Tannen. It's the same shit. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Uh, I'm, I'm not surprised why people wanted to play it. They want to do it. And it's like you said, it might just be overrepresented. And so if people want to play it, you know, someone's going to do well with it if enough people play with it. So we'll see. Um, you know, it is using some new cards from Strixhaven, which is kind of cool. You know, we're seeing Expressive Iteration kind of showing up in some of them, not really like as a And I do think that card is good. It was on both of our top eight lists from last week's episode. Mm-hmm. It was my number one. It's tough too. But there's another card. There's another two mana card that's been showing up in the Pioneer hold, decks. Hold, hold, hold on. Sorry, go ahead. Let's, let's finish out Expressive Iteration because sure. it showed up in another deck that took seventh in the second challenge. This mm-hmm. is Claudio, who plays a ton of Pioneer. Normally a Niv-Mizzet player, and if you look at the first challenge, Claudio won it with Niv-Mizzet, uh, but decided to get a little cheeky the next day and che- ran you the... You call this cheeky? I call this going insane. I just mean, wanted to have fun. Yeah, I call that... Well, when you say yeah, getting fun, I call that getting cheeky. And yeah, this, yeah, is, sure. this is an is-it-burn deck, essentially. Is-it-wizards, you know, you, sure. you might call it. Uh, it. Looks very much like the Boros-Wizards deck that we're used to, Boros-Burn. But instead of playing white for Lyris and uh, Boris Charm, it is playing blue. And it's playing Sprite Dragon and a couple of Seagate Stormcallers, which is a wizard, by the way. Uh, and although it doesn't, it's, it works awkwardly with Wizards Lightning. Like, you think, oh, extra Wizards for Wizards Lightning, that's great. But Stormcaller doesn't work with Lightning yeah. because it costs CMC 3. Sorry, yeah. Mana Value 3. Mana Value, yeah. Yeah. But playing four copies of Expressive Iteration. So going full bore on the card, I think that was a great decision. Um, you know, essentially playing it over light up the stage and head to head, I think expressive iteration wins out. If you compare these cards straight up, I think, I think it's better. Yeah. I think, I, I think, you know, sometimes a lot of the time light up the stage costs one. Sometimes it costs three. I would say on average light up the stage is probably cheaper. I think more than half the time it costs one. Right. I think it's also a better, uh, prowess outlet in main phase one. Yeah, exactly. This is works better with prowess. It, it also, you know, I think you're going to get the two cards off of iteration more often than you will with light up the stage. That's a you good know, point too. Uh, and that's the bit. That's the big difference for me. That's the real tiebreaker. So I think this is a better draw too than light up the stage is. That said, I'm interested in trying to play both, and I haven't seen lists with both. I would, you know, maybe not the full eight, but you know, g- get me a, d- a list with four iteration and two light up the stage. Let's see how that works. You know, I like dr- I like draw twos. I'm sure these decks like draw twos. Maybe you don't play as many creatures. Uh, you know, this is playing four Bone Crusher Giant in the main, which the Boros deck doesn't play because of Lurus. So uh, certainly a more creature-heavy list. But I'd like to see, you know, maybe fewer overall creatures and more of just the draw twos. But overall, this deck seems really sweet to me uh, and I think has some legs. And I hope to see a little bit more of it in the coming weeks. Yeah, a- absolutely. I like this deck a lot. You know, you're looking at the, the full litany of, uh, like, 
what I call like the prowess creatures in the format. Not all of them have prowess, but you're looking at like get through Lava Runner. It's a, you know, it's a two, two for one with haste. If you have a bunch of spells in your yard, uh, Monster Swift Spear itself has prowess along a soul scar mage. And then you have uh, Sprite Dragon, which has permanent prowess, you know, as we, as we like to say, you know, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then of course it's going to have bone crusher giant in it just because it's like the best red card ever printed, you know, kind of thing and kills everything else. And then you have expressive iteration kind of just feeding all of the burn spells along with uh, the fact that it's just got four opt as well, just to make sure it keeps going. And it's an 18 land deck too, which I'm a big fan of decks that can play the least amount of lands as possible because I just want more spells, you know, kind of thing. And getting the blue cards, you do you do get access to some sweet, sweet cyber cards. Like you still have like, you know, Spell Pierce, which they've got one main. You've got Mystical Dispute, which are some of the best cards in the format. And stuff like that. And then you can also just go super aggressive in this in the sideboard too. Like you see like Hazaret in the sideboard, you know, and stuff like that too. So I think this is a cool deck. Um, if you like the like blue red prowess decks in modern this is the deck for you like you should pick up this deck right now um it's pretty cool too because like some of these cards i don't think are going to be super expensive either and you might already own most of this deck you know to, to begin so it's a pretty cool thing i like this deck a lot it looks really cool um i think you were like super excited about the ninth place list as well right another deck that's using four expressive veneration this is the ninth place list in the first challenge or second uh the, the same challenge that we were just talking about yeah, the challenge uh, from uh, the. Oh, this is this is Timu's deck. Yes. Yeah. Is it is it master? I yeah. Oh, um, you know, I love me a good combo deck. I love a good is it deck. So is it combo deck? I'm all in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, you know, Timu has played a lot of uh, Blue Moon in Modern. That's where I know that name uh, most often. But working on a paradoxical outcome list here, uh, and playing not only four copies of expressive of expressive iteration which is obviously great when you're playing a bunch of zero mana artifacts in your yeah. deck. You know, yeah. you, you can, like, this is a deck where you can cast turn two expressive iteration a lot of the time and feel yeah. confident that you're going to hit either, you know, there's four Torment's Crypt, three Briber's Burst, three Mox Amber, so you got 10 outs uh, to, to still get your two cards on turn two. That's awesome. You know, that's even better than, than any other deck in terms of realizing the card's upside. But I love the, seeing the one copy of Galazeth Prismari yeah, it's like it's it's got its own version of Urza in the deck, right? Because it yeah. does a very good impersonation of Urza in this deck. Yeah, you know, you, you may not like, you know, Urza obviously has the the extra card advantage from the activated ability, and also makes an actual construct so you can get aggro with it. But Prismari does give you the mana generation ability, where it lets you tap your any artifact you control for a mana of any color. It can only cast instants and sorceries, but you're you know mainly casting paradoxical outcomes and expressive iterations. Getting extra colored mana certainly very valuable. You do have inspired statuary to, uh, as well, so it's sort of a, an additional inspiring statuary in that regard uh, for the deck. And so a solid one of here, uh, and, and also another legend for Mox Amber. That's that's welcome. So th- that's a card that you know would have went right over my head. I would not have seen it for the deck. You know, you you th- one of it's not going to make a hu- huge impact, but as I always say, magic is a game of small edges. So if that one Galazeth, you know, turn takes the deck from fifty percent to fifty-two percent, you've got something. Uh, I'm a pretty big fan of the fact that there's uh, three Briber's Purse in this deck. I mean, we are going deep on the zero mana artifacts here. Um, Briber's Purse was actually in my deck for my very first ever SCG top eight. Did you know that? I did not. Um, what format were you playing? <laughs> standard <laughs> so, what set is that from exactly right here? 
So this is really funny. And this is me. I, I had it. I had three of them in the sideboard of red green devotion when I played that busted red green devotion deck after dra- after uh, Dragon Lord of mm-hmm. Tarka was printed. Yeah, and uh, it's really funny. There's actually if 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 you if you care to have a fun joke about this, um, there's a deck tech that was done with me with Nick Miller. It was like one of his very first deck techs. Um, and there's there's a deck tech with this, and he talked about that I have a draft common, you know, draft chafe in my sideboard, is because there was. A, there was a deck in the meta that wasn't super popular, but people played it mostly because of Tom Ross. It was like this blue-white heroic deck, if I remember correctly. Ba- Bant heroic was Tom Ross. Yes, maybe it was maybe it was Bant. I don't remember. Yeah, it might have no. been blue-white at the time. Well, I'm so, saying, so blue-white time. heroic existed, and people played it. More notably, Joe Lissette. Sure. He he also won an open splashing red for Team or Battle Rage. And yeah, yeah. Just got I'm saying this, at this time, I think it was only blue-white. Yeah, and Tom did play the blue. No, no. By then they they were playing Bant because Jaroka's command was printed. Yeah, I, I don't know. This is this is from like ten years ago. Anyway, no, well, if if Dragonlord Tracker was printed, so is Daroka's Command. I, I sure that's not. I, I want to open with this deck, Tannen. I don't care. I do. You're, 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 <laughs> like you're, you're literally arguing over something that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it was. It, there there was a heroic deck at the time that was popular that was very hard to beat. And believe it or not, Briber's Purse was good against them. I agree. That sounds good. I played yeah, the deck. Could, I would have been scared of that card. Yeah, they can't God's willing it. They can't do any of their protection. Yeah, it gets it's God's willing in a Johnny's presence deck. where their protection spells. No hexproof, which is what you would have needed, or Procolis. Uh, that that would have done the job. It would have bought you a lot of time. And you just kind of... It's it's not even about buying time to like deal with the battlefield. You literally would have just raced in the air with a Dragonlord Tarkin. I would just need to stop you from attacking me like once or twice and the game is over. Because yeah. the thing is, it's cost me one mana to keep you from attacking. And my deck makes like 18 mana yep. a turn. So like I would just do all this other broken stuff and then just be like, go, all right, this thing can't attack. <laughs> you know, Those are, it, it those are two the of the three decks players. I played in that format. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty cool to see Briber's Purse. But again, that was from... Uh, it was it was the very first two day open that I ever played. So this yep, they were that, that new. was two thousand fifteen. Yes, this is a, this is a long time ago. Yes, yeah, so I remember that, that year. Old. That was my mm-hmm. best best year playing competitive Magic. Tan. It was twenty fifteen. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, it's, it was <laughs> it's, that long. It's been all it's been all downhill from there. It's been all downhill from here. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah. So I got to say that since we, we've talked about golf quite a bit on the show today, that I'm going to use a golf term that I am the leader in the clubhouse right now for the top eight list just the fact that expressive iteration it seems to be having some some pretty overarching uh yeah play across all the formats you know, we're even I, seeing it in legacy I had, a, I had a pretty high on my list too so yeah yeah i i, I think we're pretty close right now it's it's gonna come down to it's plum. gonna come down to plum the forbidden yeah yeah for if sure plum can turn it around and make some waves in standard then i'm gonna take the lead but so far like i, I think your list was a little safer than mine and so far you're looking good i think but you, because you had I had Spellbinder Ross, I two. You had Spellbinder one. Spellbinder is also making multi-format impact. You know, we both knew the, knew the card was good. I took I took a couple no, risks. I had Spellbinder two, by the way. Oh yeah, yeah. You, you sorry, you you had it two and iteration one. Uh, but I, I agree. You're you're ahead right now. It's but it's going to come down to plum. Yeah. It's it's all just, it's all plums job right now. I gotta take my wins when I get them. Ross, there's so few in, in far we'll between. We'll see, we'll see how it looks in a couple months. Yeah. Yeah. So, um. Other than that, uh, the decks look kind of similar in uh, Pioneer. Have you been uh, keeping up any on Modern? Is like Modern kind of changing any? Is there any cool yeah, stuff going so, on with Strixhaven so or anything? The big thing with Modern was everyone talking about Clever Lumamancer, right? They were like, oh, obviously, like Clever Lumamancer and Prowess with our, you know, Lava Darts and Gut Shots and, and what whatnot. Obviously, like, we just get another one drop in our Prowess decks, and that's going to be great. But if you look at Modern, especially this first challenge that Dylan Hovey won, 
Oh, by the way, shout out to Dylan Hovey, a uh, very, very good friend of mine. I, it just, I, I saw that he won. It is just, uh, you've been on this end before. He just got a message for me that just said, ding, yeah. <laughs> like an all capital letter. It's like, he, uh, he won with, with the mono red prowess variant that plays bone crusher giant and firebolt main, like the very grindy prowess deck. Yeah, he kind of called this shot, too. He, yeah. he said, he was like, this deck is very good. I'm going to play it. I'm going to do well it's, in it. It's apparently very good, according to him, in, in uh, and I would believe him, in the Prowess Mirrors. Because you just have so many built-in two-for-ones, and the Prowess Mirrors are very grindy. Uh, so, you know, he saw all the hype around the Prowess decks and was like, okay, I'm just going to win the Prowess Mirror. Uh, and, you know, put his money where his mouth was and won the fucking tournament. So good on him. Uh, but the, the second-place list, the person he beat in the finals, Darth Kid is playing another Prowess deck, but not with Clever Lumimancer. This is is it Prowess with four copies of Expressive Iteration. <laughs> you know, uh, we talked about it in the, in the, uh, the um, Paradoxical Outcome list. Uh, I don't see, I was hoping I would see with Iteration um, Mishra's Bauble. I don't see them in this list. I do see Mutagenic Growth, which is sometimes a zero you can find. Like, turn one, Swift Spear or Soul Scar, turn two, Iteration, Mutagenic Growth, my thing. You know, draw another card is pretty cool. Uh, I'm not sure if you would be bold enough to try to hit your th- one of your three mutagenic growths with your iteration, uh, but maybe you just really want to cast it for two mana and you're fine anticipating with it. But to me, this shows, like, the card is very powerful. Again, you see zero light up the stages, so just replacing light up the stage. Uh, again, I would like to see, you know, more light up the stages, maybe more Mishra's Baubles once you have that many of these sort of conditional draw twos to make sure you draw two as often as possible. Uh, but the power of expressive iteration really powering through. You did see Lumamancer in the second uh, top eight in sixth place from CVXW. Uh, pretty typical, like, Boros prowess list with Lurus as a companion. Also playing Lean and Light Scribe, uh, the other, you know, uh, Magecraft card that pumps your team. So both being represented, but not a clear victory from the more hyped card in Lumamancer. And honestly, to me, like, I would side with iteration. I think I just think that card's really good. Yeah, and like so I think it's really cool in the fact that I think it gives you better game like across the field, right? You don't get the super nutty turn twos where like you're do you like have a creature in play yeah. and you're like lava dart you cast, you know, uh you know, you know, ca- cast with spectacle, then do a bunch of other stuff. If you're trying to beat a field of Tron, play Lumamancer. <laughs> right. Yeah. But that's but, not yeah, what I think, they're trying yeah, to do. I think I think this one's just better across the field. It's just another card that really pairs well with Stormwind Entity as the game goes on. You know, the fact that, like, later in the game, you know, you have a, you have a few lands in play, like, especially against the decks that are going to interact with you, right? That, like like you said, that the, the mirror match can get real grindy because your burn spells don't go to the face, they go to all the... It's it's usually the, the person that gets to actually attack multiple times wins. You know, that actually has something connect multiple times wins. And you're going to be leaning on a card... I'll say this, in the mirror, you're going to want something like Expressive Iteration as well. I think, I think it's probably pretty good, even though oh, the mono red version... Awesome. Yeah, the modern version does seem better in the mirror just because it has so much removal for creatures and stuff, but uh, there's, like, probably a, l- a little less uh, air. You know, you, you have, like, less mutagenic growths main, which can lead to either being really good or really bad in some of the spots, but, you know, being able to iteration late into a game and just, like, hitting a storming entity and, like, just casting it, right? Like, seems great. You know, the the, the upside of the card, it's it kind of acts like a mana morphos later in the game as well, you know, kind of thing, so... We've seen people play Knight's Whisper in the Rakdos Shadow decks because it's like a two-mana draw two that, you know, you think of it as downside losing the two life, but in that deck can be an upside. So two-mana draw two with a little upside 
We've seen Chartercore sometimes see play with alongside Arclight Phoenix, maybe some other decks. So sometimes that's just a, that's just a two mana draw too. There's not upside beyond that because at best you're discarding card that you have access to. So it's like you're drawing two. You know, expressive iteration really is when the game in the late game, it's draw two with upside. You're seeing that third card. That's real upside. So that I don't think we've really seen that. I'm, I'm drawing a blank trying to come up with a direct comparison of just two mana draw two with upside. We see one mana draw two with like thought cast or village rights. Uh, we've seen two mana draw two with you know, maybe slight upside or slight downside, but two mana draw two with a real upside of looking at that third card. That's what iteration is. And you know, it's putting the card over the top in terms of just being a multi-format player. Yeah. And like, I know I just keep coming back to it, but like just reading this card, you know, it's like one of those ones, you know, we said, Oh, this looks good. Oh, this looks good. And the more and more I play with it, the more and more I look at it and think about it, I'm like, yeah, this card is like kind of legit. And like, maybe there's just a lot of hype behind it right now and people are jamming it into stuff and trying. And maybe we find that it might not be the way to go. It just depends on the ways the, f- the formats go. You know, if the mono red version is like, just, hey, this is just so much better because of like certain things in certain matchups, then that's fine. You know, you might see the card, see a little less play, but overall it's really cool. It's really great. And uh, again, congrats, uh, Mr. Hoey. This is great. Uh, he doesn't really do it much anymore, but he used to be one of my favorite people to watch stream. Believe it or not, he, used to, he hasn't done it in probably like I think over like a year. You know, every now and then he'll pop up and stream randomly. But I used to watch him stream a lot. He's got a great dog that gets on the stream as well named Phil. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. that that's just that's like cheating. That's just yeah. yeah, yeah. But he's um he's one of the people that he's like very even keel when he plays. You know, when he messes up, he's like he he's like oh you know like I should you know like he'll talk about like he's he, if you've watched a spiring spike stream, he's very much like that. Very uh. He talks through his plays really well. He's analytical, very even keel kind of person. Just very entertaining, but, but also in, like, in a, but also jovial and you know lighthearted. That that's what uh, that balance is. What Spike does very very well. Honestly, I don't know if I've seen someone do it better because the skill that Spike brings in terms of being an innovator and a deck builder is really special and it's it's unique. You know, I, I I honestly think he's an elite deck builder when it comes to the modern format, at the at the very least, if, if not agree. if not beyond that. Uh, but he might be the deck builder in modern. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, but he also has you know such a great stream personality. Doesn't take himself too seriously. You know, has a good time with things. Um, you know, knows sort of has a good also like um, internal uh, alarm for when he's getting a little bit too negative, and, and can can rein himself in. Uh, he, he's the streamer I watch the most, uh, you know, out have of you, anyone. Have you watched him like the last two or three days? I actually haven't. I've been just been busy with things and, and doing I, stuff. I don't want to ruin it for you, but watch him and pay attention to what's in his background now. He changed what's behind him. Oh. It's hilarious. I don't want to ruin it for you. Okay. But I, now I kind of have to say it so people at home know know what it is. No, you don't. You don't. They'll, okay. Then okay. they'll have to watch him too. I'll, yeah, I'll watch him go. tomorrow. It'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. It's cool. And I wanted to say one more thing about Hovi's deck. Uh, the more and more I look at it, the more I think this deck is just like extremely well built and, and well set up for the format. I think it's really good. You know, the four Blood Moon main are like he, I remember him saying in a, in a tweet or something that like it carried him all day long. It was very, very good in a lot yeah. of his matchups and very big. But the fact that you have four Blood Moon and three Flame Slash Main, right? Leave me to believe there's some spots where you're like, well, you know, what if there's a matchup where Flame Slash isn't good or Blood Moon isn't good and I draw too many of these and you have Soul Scar? You know, you, you can still cast them 
in the matchups for some value, but you have four season Pyromancer in this deck as well, to where you can get some value off getting rid of that card. Yeah. You don't have Faithless Looting anymore, right? But this does a very good impression. Season Pyromancer is a huge part of this deck. Yeah, and like I absolutely love how aggressively tilted this deck is, but still has utility. Yeah, you know, it's, and these are the kind of decks that I like a lot in Magic because it's not. And I'm not going to go down the trope of like. Mono red is mindless and all in all the time, like blah, blah, blah. But it isn't just trying to do... It is trying to do one thing, right? Trying to kill you as quickly as possible, but it has game. Yeah, it has plan B. Mm -hmm. And like, it can it can juke and jive, but it needs to, because it understands the fact that there's some matchups where you need to blood moon a son of a bitch, you know? Like, you need to be yeah. able to kill their creatures. Sometimes you, know? you need a flame stuff. flash to answer their uh, their storming entity because they have a lava dart in the graveyard, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, like, I think flame slash is great. And not to mention, uh, there's Kozilex return in here, get, getting those pesky pro red yeah, that, creatures that's, out of the... That's been around for a while because of Oriac yeah. Champion. That That's pretty yeah, standard course, these days. But, but it, it's I'm just definitely, saying that one's real cool. Yeah. Oriac Champion, <laughs> that card, that, that costs like $100 now. That's that's way... I'm it's, hyper, it's, hyper, it's, hyper, it's very high. No, but I think it, it's like 40 or $50. Yeah, oh yeah. It, it is, it's around there. But it, and, it's basically $10,000 if you also, want an Oriac Champion. There's, it's basically, you need a Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's like four Bitcoins. I don't, I, yeah. I don't know. I will say this, though. It does it does bring a little warmth to my heart. Anytime, especially I see a mono red deck win. But anytime I see a deck win or do really well in a tournament that has Firebolt in it, and not just any amount of Firebolts, but the maximum amount of Firebolt. I I got to tell you. So I, uh, you know, when I was ju very uh, young, just starting playing ptqs um i was playing red decks like that was you know what my friends gave me mm -hmm. he's like oh he, he's the young kid they were they were all 15 and i was 13 is basically how it was yeah. right and so i was just playing red decks and we we went to we started playing extended ptqs because that was the season and uh i was playing the deck that had goblin cadets and blistering firecat and i love, remember it, this yeah it had love yeah. dart and it had fireball um and I uh, I was playing in like you know the one one bracket, and my opponent cast a chill in the post board game, and I had never seen chill before in my life. <laughs> and I just like, read what it do? and like... was like, "Holy shit! What the fuck am I supposed to do?" I had one game one. They chilled me, and I lost game two. We go to game three, and I'm like, "Okay, like maybe they won't have a chill this game." And they go turn two chill, turn three chill in the in the third game. But I, I was flooded. <laughs> and so I made all my land drops, and I was just casting incredibly expensive spells. And then they flooded, which is the, that's the scenario where you could win, right? Um, and I ended up winning this game by casting a nine mana firebolt from my graveyard. <laughs> Did you say nine mana firebolt? Nine, they had two chills. It <laughs> cost five normally, Tannen. Nine mana firebolt, two damage, let's go. <laughs> Jeez, that is kind of unreal. To this to this day, it is, it is one of my proudest accomplishments in Magic, winning a game through two chills with a mono red deck. The, the only thing I have to like kind of compare to that, I I won a game in a PTQ once where uh, my opponent was at ten, and I cast Cruel Ultimatum, and they like took a minute, like looked at their life total, looked at their hand, and they were like rearranging all the cards in their hand, and they went to put card. I'm like, hold on, are you discarding the cruel ultimatum? They're like, yeah. And I just showed them the other seven mana that I had of colored mana and the other cruel ultimatum in my hand already to tend them. So I cast two cruel ultimatums in the same turn. Nice. <laughs> that's, that's. 
I had that much re- of required specific mana. Yeah, you, know? you just had like fourteen vivid lands in play. <laughs> That's what that deck was. But I was just like, it's just like, wait, wait, if this one resolves, the second one resolves, right? Let's, let's not go through all of it because it takes forever to resolve that kind of card, you know, kind of thing. So, um, yeah, so a lot of cool things going on in a lot of the formats. You know, you're seeing a lot of uh, Strixhaven kind of having an impact here in constructed. Maybe not so much in standard. We kind of expected that. The cards are a little kind of, I don't want to say not good, but just a little slower and weaker in comparison to some of the stuff that we got in standard with these established decks and these established archetypes. So I'm not really surprised to see standard being this way and not being super impacted, but we are seeing it at Pioneer, Historic, Modern. You know, we're seeing all stuff, we're seeing some cool stuff going on in Legacy, like I've said. I've, I saw some blue-red Delver decks that are running uh you know iteration and the running uh conspiracy, conspiracy theorists theorist. yes yeah, so there's some cool stuff going on there uh you just want to get as many cards going you want to go through your deck as, as quickly as possible we're playing the uh the delve whale you know that we talked about like a year ago i was like i don't think this card is very good but i can see it getting played in legacy and it is you know kind of thing so lots of cool and stuff going I, on there i also will say there is one new deck in standard that i'm pretty confident in what's that the so the is a deck that basically just died uh, you know, last season oh, after the first week. Yeah, but it's like it's like taking turns now, right? I mean, they're playing Allrun's Epiphany, but the, like the, that deck is playing Galazeth Prismari, sometimes Prismari Command. It's playing Expressive Iteration and doing a little bit better. And the thing to me with that deck was that it was always miscategorized last season. Like, ever, you know, everybody wanted to play two-mana interaction and Goldspan Dragon. That, that was the, you know, quote-unquote combo. Yeah, yeah, uh, but the way that deck really wants to operate is more as a tap-out-on-my-main-phase kind of deck. So what you want to do is have just enough interaction for the turns where you Goldspan Dragon or Galazeth to be able to double spell and get really far ahead. But for the most part, you want to be playing at on your own main phase, and that's what they're doing now. They're playing, you know, not even four copies of Didn't Say Please. They're playing some Mystical Disputes because it goes so well with Galazeth. And everyone's playing, you know, Teamer Adventures and Soul Tide Ultimatum, where Dispute is good. And they're playing then a bunch of Mana Sinks for when they make all these treasures. They're playing Magma Opus uh, and just hard casting. They're playing Allrun's Epiphany, which is a great tempo spell when you're tapping out on your main phase. And so I think it's just strategically, those decks are a lot more cohesive than they were last season with all of the new tools they've gotten. So I think they're going to be... You know, not just, you know, week one, week two, flash in the pans. I think that deck is going to stick around. I'm not saying it's going to be tier one, but I think it's going to be at least tier two, maybe better over the course of this season. So for the most part, it's been the Prismari cards that have, uh, you know, made the impact from Strixhaven. And we'll, we'll see if the other schools can catch up. But right now, we know where the gifted kids are. <laughs> so I will say this before we move on from Strixhaven River. Um... Uh, it was, I did it on stream real quick yesterday, so I fired up my stream for like less than an hour or whatever, but I got a, I bought a box from, um, I bought a box of Strixhaven, I'm trying to remember the correct term of this, this is, it's not the booster box, this packs, it's not the collectors, it's the set boosters, I think they're, it's what they're called, there's so many different ones. I know, I have no fucking clue what any of them I, are, so. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I bought it from Mark Nestico, you know, like we had him on the show the other day, he had a great price on it, but mine was not normal, it's not English, it's Japanese. So I was like, 
you know, and he's got some Japanese ones for sale, whatever. It's, it's, it's fun. I like opening stuff. I got the good brain chemicals for a few minutes. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to lie. It was a lot of fun. Uh, one of the cool things to do on stream was trying to figure out what the cards were because a few of them have the same casting costs in the Japanese stuff and you can't always tell from the picture. So like one of mine, I like thought it was Cultivate, but it like wasn't Cultivate. You know what I mean? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Or it takes a little while to learn all the, yeah. all the arts and stuff. Yeah, but I will say this. And I was kind of worried about how they would... And when I say translate, I don't mean uh, the words from, like, Japanese into English. I was worried about how they would translate from, like, you know, seeing them on the computer to on an actual, like, physical card. Like, how it would yeah. look. They're gorgeous. The Mystical Archive cards, they don't look like magic cards. I don't mean that to take away from them. You know, like, like I joke all the time when I talk about the, the, the card... Which ones were these? What were they called? The ones from um, the Egyptian set. I joke about their Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Yeah, Amonkhet. The Amonkhet masterpieces. I was like, you know, those are like Yu-Gi-Oh cards. And these do look kind of like the set. I know this is a magic card, but there's a, there's a card game called Force of Will. This looks a little bit along the lines of that. You know, it's very stylized, you know, Asian, uh, Japanese, you know, art and coloring and stuff. But they are gorgeous and look utterly amazing. Yeah, but, uh... I've been playing with them for two episodes of Versus now where we've mm-hmm. had real cards. And, you know, I can but admit the, that they... Some of the Japanese ones, the alternate arts is what I'm saying. Oh, I don't think we've had those. But we've had yeah, Mystical Archive cards with that sort of like goldish uh, yeah. border. And I, objectively, they look really good. But those things are never going to hit me because I just always want magic cards to look like magic cards. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm probably going to do mostly the same, but if, like, I ever build another cube or if I have, like, I, I do do some of the fun, crazy stuff with, like, um, you know, there's, I like Highlander formats a lot, you know. You got uh, so to come up to Roanoke so we can play Battlebox. Anderson has a Battlebox. Yeah, I, I'm actually planning to visit Roanoke soon. I'm gonna come up there. We'll play sports. I'll come up for a few days. We'll do the sports stuff. We'll do some Wait, barbecue. You gotta coordinate. Jim Davis also wants to do that, and I'm fully. Dude, I'm the sports. last person in the group to be fully. Or Rob and I are the last people to be fully vaccinated. Yeah. Uh, I'm getting mine tomorrow. My second dose. Rob's getting okay. his the day after. So we'll find out from Jim. But I'm gone from the fourth to the eleventh. I'm in. I'm in May? the West Coast. As in, yeah, next month. Um. Is in next week. Like yeah, yeah. Much. So we're you know we're talking like late May, early June at the earliest. But yeah, we'll, fi- we'll a, figure out time where like the a, two of you can come. Yeah, and we, can, we can finally play some golf. We yeah. can yeah we can go to the the uh, par three course, maybe a real golf course. I don't know. Um, we can get some maybe even four on four basketball and play full court. Um, maybe even five on five. Who knows? But we'll we'll figure it out. Here's one of the funny things. I, I'm typing it into my phone right now just, to, just so I can say on the show how many hours I'm going to have to drive to do this because I don't know if I'm going to fly or not. I might drive so I can bring my golf clubs and stuff or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so I type in Roanoke. There's a Roanoke in Louisiana. There's a Roanoke in Texas. There's one in Virginia, obviously. There's one in Alabama. There's literally a Ro- Roanoke in every state around North, me. North Carolina for sure. And in North Carolina. Oh, that's Roanoke Rapids, but yes. Okay. But the one in Virginia, let's just see how long this drive is going to be. 13 14? hours and 15 minutes. Yeah, 14. Yeah, so, yeah well, I mean, it's probably going to be more like I might have to break this up into two days. Hopefully. Yeah, you're an, you're an old man. We understand. Well, no, I'm actually a beast behind the wheel or whatever. But every single time I've driven, I've driven to Vegas, there's been no stops. Okay, that's just fucking madman shit. Well, I'm never alone, thankfully. The only it was only it was only worrisome once because the other person in the car, I did not trust them to drive very much. So I was like a little worrisome there. My brother claims to have driven from Central Connecticut to Atlanta by himself with no stops. 
I'm assuming he, he stopped to use the bathroom and like yeah, yes, yeah. or whatever. No, no yeah, like yeah, yeah. you know, full on stops, but uh, uh, just what, gas and bathroom. Yeah, we got some good. I've got some good stories on one of the trips. It was um, I was driving from Vegas to Dallas because I was moving to Dallas to do an uh, East. How long is that drive? Twenty two, maybe twenty. It's, it's a full. God. It's a full day. Your states are so big. Why yeah, are yeah, your Texas, states so big? Just chop Texas them up. Gigantic. Texas is like utterly gigantic. Um, the funny thing is, I always go through Dallas because otherwise you have to go through like West Texas where there's actually nothing, and that that's dangerous. Like I don't like that. Out but in also, West Texas, that drive, town of El Paso. That drive is beautiful, by the way. I, I highly recommend making. So is driving through Virginia, country. by the way. Yeah, I, you I've go done from it. like Roanoke to Richmond. I've driven from Virginia up to uh, Rhode Island before. It was fun. It was beautiful. Uh, it freaked me out a little bit because I've never driven like up a mountain and on the side of a mountain before, and I was like, "This is kind of weird." But you yeah. know, but uh, you, you get that driving from Vegas to LA. Do you come down the mountains and it's like kind of crazy? But uh, what I was going to say on is, the Vegas LA drive, the yeah, I, you can just go ninety five the whole time. There's no cops. It's great. Um, w- w- one of the things that was funny is one of the trips I went from Vegas to Dallas, and we did it in, like you know one go. But we made a fun thing where um, we we pulled the 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 th- you know how I met your mother did this you could not change the music that was in the CD player <laughs> in the car but it was I one CD would walk on yes exactly so they're gonna so it was just it was one CD the whole way through and it, it's exactly like they do in the show it's like the third or fourth time through you're like I, this might be too much come on yeah. like, let's turn it off C- comes it's back like, around it, it comes back around yeah like the fifth one you're like you're like fuck yeah let's go and it was it was uh, da, da, da. It was uh, what is it, 1989? The Taylor Swift album that was like really big at the time. I think is what it, uh, I think it's 1989. Yeah. The, the 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 year that it was, whatever. Um, That's the one with Shake and, It Off, right? Yeah, and the rest of the album is very good and very different from that. It's it might be her best album from like cover to cover. It's very very good. But uh, speaking of How I Met Your Mother, did you hear that they're trying to actually finally do How yeah, I Met Your Father? With, with Hilary Duff. And, yeah, it's going to be on a Hulu. Uh, yeah. Carter Bays and Craig Thomas are executive producing, but they're not going to be involved creatively is what I – I did some – you sent me the message. I didn't respond to you, but I did some Googling. I figured as much. You don't have to respond half the yeah. stuff that I said. I know. Like, But I'll, I'll say this. From initial reaction and like this – nothing against anyone, but – I'm not going to be going out of my way to watch this. I'll tell you yeah, that. I mean, I'm going to watch it, but eventually, um, yeah, I, I'm going to go into it with very low expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, what I am hoping they don't do is just literally try to recreate how I met your mother, but in like a gender bent way. Yeah. Yeah. What no. uh, I'm just hoping that they essentially, you know, take the same premise you know, and do it with very different characters. And, yeah, make the show its own, yeah. Yeah, because the premise is very vague. It's literally just, like, 20-something people in a big city. There's a main character. They're trying to find love, like, and they have friends, right? Like, that's... It's, it's literally friends. Like, that's what it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. You know, How I Met Your Mother was just friends in the 2000s. And uh, so hopefully they just do friends in the 2020s and they do it well, um, you know, Maybe they do, maybe they don't, but th- I'm hoping that they don't try to, um, that they, they don't try to mimic how I met your mother too closely because I think yeah, that I would think a be a very bad idea. Yeah, it's funny. I've actually been, uh, it, it's been a, a a bittersweet couple weeks for uh for entertainment for me. There's been some sweet, you know, some cool movies that have come out that I've I've enjoyed, but also a couple of shows that I watch have like come to an end. You know, like they had their like their season finales or whatever recently. 
Um, I know you're not super into some of this stuff, but like it's pretty pop culture. We've got a couple minutes on the show, so I'll talk about it with you know. I watched I watched Mortal Kombat. So the, did the, I. The, the, um, I'll say this: there's a reason the movie's rated R. Good lord. Um, <laughs> I, I wh- didn't find it li- that gory. Uh, the the few gory scenes, the entrails, or, the, the entrails yes. were that was. But there's there's a lot of f bombs, like more than there's probably more f bombs on on this show than we've ever had on this episode of, of uh, our show, but there's, they say a lot of bad stuff on the show, but you see what's rated R because they've actually softened on that stuff lately. They've actually made people dial it back from like the nineties, you know, it was just like straight murder, 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 you know, kind of thing. Yeah. The sort of slasher. uh, mm -hmm. Or like the Steven Seagal, Arnold Schwarzenegger movies where they're just blowing each other apart the whole movie. But, um, I will say this while it fails at certain parts, you know, like certain characters weren't, like one of the characters didn't feel great. Like the the, the character the the main storyline is kind of around. I was like, this kind of fell a little flat. Yep. And I can see why other stuff wasn't really dug into too much because a it's expensive to do CGI, et cetera, et cetera. Overall, that it was great. The nostalgia was amazing. I um, lost it when Kano just turned after killing the reptile thing and just said, whoa, Kano. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wi- yeah, like, uh, come on, spoiler alert. He says yeah. Kano wins. Yeah, I was gonna say every one of them, or almost every one of them, doing their like catchphrase, and he's like, "I am Sub Zero," like <laughs> yeah, all stuff. It's, it's great. By the way, if you if you really enjoyed the fighting in that movie, especially the uh, like it, the fights between like Sub Zero and Scorpion stuff are a lot better because it, it's you know like you know they had the whole like Asian tilt to the to the vibe like it, the, it, the whole it backstory. The, yeah, it was it was way less whitewashed and Americanized like the first version of the show was. Yeah. Um. You've heard me talk about a show on on here before called Warrior that's on HBO. Uh, the guy that's Sub-Zero is one of the main characters in Warrior, and he's just amazing. And apparently, like, I've heard that was some of the same team was brought in for this, but I'm not sure. But that just got renewed for season three, so I'm excited. Uh, the other show that I've been watching a lot of on um, Prime called Invincible uh, just finished its first season, and that show blew me away with how good it is. Uh, I was very surprised with that one. Oh, hold, hold. Hold on a second on that. Sure. Because I I will say the when it was announced they were making like a Mortal Kombat movie, and by when I say when it was announced, I mean when I found out, which I'm yeah. sure was much later. Yeah, I've known for years. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. yeah exactly. Uh, my reaction was, I don't give a flying fuck. Uh, and the only reason I watched it is because it, the Andersons are big into it. And they yeah. wanted to watch it. And so they just it's had just fun. Yeah, they just had everybody over. So I went over just to hang out and, and have some fun. And uh, watching the movie was, you know, completely immaterial. But mm-hmm. I ended up, you know, actually enjoying the movie, even though, you know, it's objectively not a good movie. Like if, if the movie no, were made no. ir- irrespective of the video game franchise, it would be horrible. But it, uh, as and th- oh, this yeah. is a common sentiment is a good video game movie. If you enjoy yes. the video game, if you get the references, if the nostalgia hits with you, and I, you know, I played Mortal Kombat as a kid. I remember, Same. you know, trying to do fucking fatalities as a seven-year-old who didn't have enough manual dexterity, uh, and they, all, you know, I would my brother who was the one who owned the games and was older, you know, I'd play with him, and you know, our parents would let us, even though I was super young. So, um, yeah, so I guess a, a little lucky. Uh, so you know, that stuff resonated with me, and it was enjoyable. So good points for it. Uh, if you haven't seen it yet, sorry for the spoiler alert, but you know who the fuck cares? Like it's you know this is the kind of movie where like who cares if it gets spoiled, right? Yeah, that's kind of a good point. 
Uh, and yeah, like same thing for me. You know, I enjoyed the first version of this, and what was it like, nineteen ninety six or something like that? Ninety five, I believe. Ninety five. I think I saw it. I think I saw it in the movie theater like four different times or something like that because I was ten or something. You know, I was like, and I got to go see it, so I was, I, I loved it. Um, I really liked Street Fighter a lot too. That movie's horrible, but I loved. There it. was a Street movies. Fighter movie. How do you not know about this, Tana? Do you know who I am? <laughs> like. Hold on, I got I got to make sure I get uh the guy's name right. It's um he was he was the 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 dad in Adam's family, the the actor. Um um who, who played Gomez? Yeah. Um Oh man. Raul Julia, Raul Julia. Yeah. I kept hearing his name incorrect. It's it's the last movie he ever did. Because uh, you know he, he died uh, from like I think he had stomach cancer. I can't remember. So he's he was literally dying on like the set of of the movie. He did it for his kids because he wanted to do a movie that his kids would love to watch him in before he died or whatever. And it, it, there's some part of it. It's like you know that's your like legacy. That's like your last movie. It's like him just playing this over the because he's the villain. He's in Bison and he's just absurd in the movie and like i don't know it's it's extremely quotable um nathan zamora that's admirable you know the person i used to do a lot of casting with is utterly in love with this movie and i didn't know that until i uh was working with him in texas and i found out how much he loved it and we would just watch like we would just sit there drink and watch this movie and like shout the things and i think i've told you this before our you sold live me shows, you sold me tannin i know before the live shows, we used to do a lot of vocal exercising to make sure our vocal cords are ready to talk for four hours straight, you know, live. Because, like, that that does a lot to your to your voice. And, you know, you'd, like, sing and try all the different octaves. And, like, some of the times we would just reenact scenes from Street Fighter. Because, like, there's scenes where, you know, we're all just going way over the top. Because <laughs> you know, he's supposed to. And it's utterly great. And you were talking about, you know, watching it with the Andersons. And, like, I think it's really cool to be able to, to do that, to share that with people, especially in, like, now, like, today's age, where, like, we have social media and we've had these, like, we've had these shows, right? You've had, like, Game of Thrones. And, like, you're seeing it now with some of, like, the Marvel shows and the Marvel movies being released at home. You know, the big pop culture, like, the ones that, that defy genre. You know what I mean? Like it, almost everyone, like I know you're not one of them, but almost every person's going to go see them and everyone talks about it and no one wants the spoiler. Like I remember trying to make sure you the, caught the, the ones that become part of the cultural zeitgeist. Yes. And I remember like trying to make sure that I saw episodes of, of these shows or whatever before getting home from like, you know, weekends on the SCG tour. So I didn't get them spoiled for me. Like one of the most iconic episodes ever of Game of Thrones, if I remember right, I watched it in their living room, in the Anderson's living room, where I watched the Red Wedding happen. And I knew it was coming, or whatever, because, you know, I read the books or whatever. So when it happened, I didn't watch the screen. I watched everybody else. And, like, just the reaction. And, like, it makes the experience better for you, because, you know, we can't go to the movies as much right now, and stuff like that. And you get to kind of experience that thing, that, and, like, you, you get the camaraderie of it, and you don't realize how much you've missed it. I agree. You know, uh, I missed a Game of Thrones question in trivia today. What was the question? So here it is. Okay. Which Game of Thrones character portrayed in the television series by Susan Brown was tutor to the daughters of Eddard Stark? She was a clergywoman of the New Gods before her head was placed on a spike at King's Landing. And they want both first and last name. Give me a second. I'm trying to remember her name. I can see her. Um, hit me. I can't remember her name. It is Septa Mordain. Yeah. 
I was about to say, her, I remember, like, Septa, yeah, or I was like, but I couldn't remember, yeah, just, I could see her in, like, the nun outfit, you know, kind of thing, like, they had the, the, the whole, like, you know, you have to cover your hair and everything thing going on, I could see all that, whatever, but I do like the uh, out-of-nowhere trivia on the show every now and then for me, I appreciate it, like, <laughs> the baseball thing was hilarious. I'm doing, that. so this is not part of our regular uh, season, we're, we're between seasons right now, this is a mini-league that is a general knowledge puzzle league. Okay. So... You know how normally we get six questions a day, right. right? Yeah. In this league, we get the same six questions, but the first five have some sort of link between them that give you a clue to the sixth, which is significantly harder. And they give you a bit of what they call flavor text, which I'm tickled by as a magic player, yeah. at the beginning to give you a clue as to what the link is. And I skipped over it, but the first part of, of the, the question I gave you was bonjour, because each uh, of the each question began with the word hello in a different language. Guten tag, konnichiwa, bonjour, buenos dias, buongiorno, and hello. And the flavor text was, it's what's on the inside that counts. And now what you have to know about the league is that um, the link is going to point you to a letter in each of the first five questions or first five answers that will then form a word that is a clue to the sixth answer. It's really in-depth. And I I got all four of the preliminary questions other than the one I read you. I got the other four, and I still couldn't figure out the answer to the sixth today. But I did figure out the link. And what it was, was if you look at the string of letters that is the answer to each of the first five questions... That string contains a number which is written in the language that the hello of the beginning of the clue is in. And then that number tells you the nth, if that number is N, then the nth letter of that question, of that answer is what you need to pull out. And so then we turn it over. Is it like a map to the Declaration of Independence? <laughs> so you steal it or something? So like in this case, Septa Mordain contains Sept, which is uh, yeah. French yeah. for seven. So you need the seventh letter, which was an O. The first question was Guten Tag, and the answer was proteins. Eins is one, so you needed the P. Um, the fourth question was Buenos Dias, and the answer was hypochondria. It contains Ocho in the middle. The eighth letter is N, and on and on like that. So I literally had four of the letters. I figured out that one of the words in the last answer was going to be phone, P-H-O-N-E, but I couldn't figure it out. It was, but it was really cool. Uh, it, was, it was, these are well done puzzles. Um, by the time, if any one of our listeners is part of Learned League and is doing this, by the time they listen, it'll be, this day will be done. So there's no, uh, I'm not, you know, ruining anything for anyone, but it, it was a little disappointing to me to get four of the first five answers and not be able to figure out the sixth. I knew I wasn't going to be able to back solve you know, the third answer because it's some weird name from Song of Ice and Fire. Uh, so, you know, I wasn't going to figure that out, but I thought maybe I could try to figure out the sixth and I, you know, got half of it, but not not all of it. But I thought it was a cool day uh, and just a, a really cool puzzle to solve. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, love that kind of stuff. Tell you what, we got a few things uh, before we get done here. Uh, I want to make sure I mention our sponsor, uh, Barrister and Man. I got some new stuff in the mail. Opened it up the other day. I'm super excited. Uh, I got some beard oil from them for a friend of mine. So I need to. I, I've been meaning to ask him how it, how it's doing, but I haven't had a chance because you know me. I keep I keep the facial hair tight. I don't really need the the beard Indeed oil you do. very much. But but 
I'm excited about the newest package that I got because I got all of the uh, the, the diamond, diamond series yeah. stuff. Oh yeah, got all the baseball stuff because like everything's baseball for me right now. I'm I I'm looking at baseball stuff probably like way too much per day. Yeah, so I'm super excited about you know trying some more of the diamond series stuff. Uh, I like the smell of it. You know, it's like it, it's it smells like you know a summer afternoon. You know, like like summer camp kind of thing. I I think is the way to put Does it. Does it smell like fresh cut grass? Is that the kind of thing? They're yeah, after? it's got that kind of like. You, you like you don't even think of like nostalgia like not even nostalgia when you think back anytime you have something that kind of like triggers a memory for you it could be like the feeling of something um like anytime water splashes on my feet i think of like the beach you know of like walking barefoot in the sand and like you can kind of feel that and like you know i grew up i went to summer camp you know because i grew up in a, a single uh, parent household so i had to be taking you know i had to not be at home all day you know when, when i'm not in school so, i went to so day camp a couple summers as a kid yeah and we just we just played baseball for like seven hours a day, you know. Like we we had a baseball field in our camp, so we would just play, and uh, we would do this crazy thing where uh, the pitching mound would be second base, and we would use like some bases that way. But we'd use the fence behind home plate as like our fence. So if you hit it over that, it's a home run because it was like because we didn't use like a real bat and a real ball. We used like a tennis ball and like you know crappier plastic bats. So like they threw the ball towards you, and you had to keep hitting it in that same direction. You would just play baseball, but like we would be playing towards the diamond. Do you get what I'm saying? Like the pitcher, oh, so you, the pitcher, so you just inverted the field. Yeah, we would just invert the field. Like I'd be like you'd be hitting in center field, and like second base would be like kind of like the like you know yeah. the middle of the diamond kind of thing. And we had like you know the the bases set up a certain way or whatever. But we'd use that as like our because like no one could ever hit a home run out of the thing with like a tennis ball. You know what I mean? It's like sure. you can't you can't hit it hard enough or whatever and stuff. So. And you know, chicks take the long ball. You couldn't get rid of that. Yeah, you got to hit diggers. You got to <laughs> hit diggers. So, um, but yeah, make sure you check out Barrister and Man. Uh, that's Man with two N's. Barristerandman.com. Uh, lots of cool stuff on there. Lots of gifts. Great ideas. Uh, just some some good stuff for anybody on there. Shopping for anyone. Some cool soaps. Some hand scents. Uh, lots of stuff for shaving that uh, I'm super obsessed with. So make sure you check it out. And use the code MTGRANTS to get 15% off of your order. So make sure you check that out. Um, I know that we had a few questions that we need to get through before we get done with today's episode. So let me make sure we check the mailbag. See if we have any of those for this week. I didn't look that. But we have some overrated underrated that we can kind of get it. into. All right, let me scroll up. I gotta figure out exactly back where we are. Where we're at here. Um, okay, well, one is actually from Anderson and Claire. We've talked about him quite a bit on the show, so I'm gonna say skip uh, it. You want to skip it? <laughs> no. Okay, sure. right. I'm just giving him shit. Uh, and he's got two, and he's got a picture of this too. It's white bordering uh, time spiral remastered old bordered cards. Oh, it's horrific. Why would you ever do that? I've told this to him to his face, so he's I, just I, doing I, this to provoke me. Yeah, I think, I think it's kind of overrated, too. All right, I post eggs. Like, actual white-bordered cards are perfectly fine, and when, when they're really mint, you know, and look really crisp and clean, sure. But, like, actively, like, defacing your cards, just, like, come on, man. Uh, I was going to say, my SCG Open Top 8 in standard with mono blue, uh, I needed 18 matching islands because I forgot to bring, bring them with me or whatever. And I used our managers, and he yeah. had white bordered islands, and it triggered the shit out of Twitch chat every time that I was on camera. It was, it was great. It, but they were all seventh edition islands, right? Yeah, they were all the same art, which I actually like that art, believe it or not. But yeah, it was, it was right, a good uh, art. Intrepid Zero says poached eggs. I'm going to go with slightly overrated because it's so much work. All forms of eggs are underrated because eggs are the greatest food on earth. 
I've been eating a lot of eggs lately. Uh, you never skip egg day. Po- poached eggs are also particularly good. And I honestly, yes, they are. I'm going to disagree with you a bit. I don't even think they're that much work. Yeah, they're probably, it's, it's, look, I, I don't want to do it in the morning when I'm trying to make breakfast for myself real quick. I, I agree. I agree. Um, Otherwise, it's, like, it's a week, it's a weekend, underrated. it's a weekend thing. That's why they go with brunch, right? Because you know, right. take, you have a little bit more time on the weekends. Uh, you know, when it's the morning, you either want to have like hard boiled eggs that you boiled the night before or quickly fry some eggs. And, I and, love poached eggs. Yeah. They're don't so good <laughs> at all, all forms of eggs. I literally like, there's not a form of egg that I don't love. Uh, Brent Wagner says, our lovely editor says, just to get Tannen going, MLB media. And like, <laughs> I, I'm trying to think exactly what it is he, he wants to talk about or what it is. And I'll try, I'll try to be like, how do you feel but, about Alex Rodriguez's opinions on bunting? It's fucking awful. <laughs> excuse, excuse the language, but I, I will say this. Um, I had this conversation with, uh, do you know who Wilson Hunter is? Yeah, yeah. Uh, creator of Cardboard Live. Or yeah. maybe not sole, like he's involved with it. I don't know exactly. Yeah, he's one of the two. He's, like, he's an owner. Yeah, yeah. He's like one of the, yeah. Um, he and I are actually very, very good friends. We talk every day. Obvious magic collection, but he's a humongous Atlanta Braves fan and likes magic. And we're in some fantasy baseball leagues together. So we talk a lot. And um, he and I had this conversation about it the other day. You know, I've always talked about like how Watsy is like an old boys club and like it's hard to get in and like, you know, make your mark. Especially yeah. like it, a lot of commentary as well. You just, it's like almost impossible to get into the thing unless you know someone or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it'll be a lot of the same way. And specifically when it comes to people who call the baseball games, like they're all really old and really old school. And like, that's just not the game anymore. And like they, they legit make fun of like the new analytics and stuff. And I'm like, yeah. Baseball has a problem marketing itself, and they're part of the problem. It's literally just Philip Seymour Hoffman from the Moneyball movie. Yeah. <laughs> Which is hilarious because, yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's just they, they have this huge problem with a lot of stuff, and it's really funny that they, they know it, and they've been trying to fix it. And then one of the people who's, like, the most vocal about it, he's like, here's what you need to do. Here's where your problems are. They're actually sabotaging him from within right now, who's Trevor Bauer. Like, MLB's, like, going after this guy. They, they freaking hate him and, like, want to, you know, pitcher? destroy him and stuff. Yeah, they have a vendetta against him really bad and stuff. But it's just, it's, because he's very, out, he's the outspoken one. Yeah. You know what I mean, he's, like, the, he's the poster boy now and stuff. So, it's, I don't know, it's just really bad overall. I wish the game was put into a better light. They shoot themselves in the foot repeatedly. Oh, it's, and they've been doing good. it for decades. Yeah, they're very, very good at it. So, yeah, because Brent says, you, you know, MLB announcers, analysts, people on TV. I think overall... Um, it's very overrated. I think overall, like these people just aren't very good at their, like, here's the thing. They might be good at their jobs in some way. And like, they get a lot of like former players, which like, here's the thing. I can't have that perspective. Right. You know, like they have like David Ortiz come on there. Right. Or like, you know, A-Rod, like I didn't play for 20 years. I'm not a hall of famer. I get it. I get that. Right. And I'm not saying I would do their job better. That's not what I'm saying. But there's an element that is missing from these broadcasts and it is sorely lacking and it needs to be infused within it. You know, there's a place for it. It doesn't have to dominate everything, but it needs to be a significant element of these broadcasts. And right now, not only is it not there, it's actively being ridiculed discouraged. Yeah. and discouraged by the people who are there. Yeah, and, by the people in power. Yeah, and, and like, here's, here's NBA is a... in, in a little bit of the same boat with uh, the TNT guys, like Shaq and, and Charles Barkley. They just don't know how the game is played in 2021, and they don't like it. And they ridicule it, and it just comes off as one petty and two inane because they're just like the game is great right now for basketball. And you're you're hitting you're hitting the nail right on the head because like here's a perfect example. 
my like everyone knows I'm a Braves fan, and like growing up, uh, my favorite pitcher on the team was John Smoltz. Like I have a I have a full on John Smoltz jersey, and, and you've seen it. I have like the like legit Braves John Smoltz jersey, and um, I kind of hate the man now. Like I, it's 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 sad the way I think of him because like he does commentary, especially during the playoffs. And, you know, I get to hear it a lot, and you could tell he just hates baseball now. Like he just hates it. And I'm like, why are you doing this job if you hate it? Like, yeah. You're just an old man yelling at clouds now. Like, you know, and like you you see him and like A Rod talking about, well, like, you know, this was different in my day. This was different in my day. This was different in my day. And then they they talk about why they hate it. And like someone will bring up, you know, a statistic. They're like, oh, he's you know he's good for 4.5 WAR this year. And they'll be like, yeah, whatever that means. And stuff. I'm like, why don't you just fucking try? Like the game is great. Try to understand why it's great, and we get it. The game has passed you by, but that doesn't mean you have to give up. At, at least it's. Just, it's I'll sad. I'll say this, Tannen. At least you don't have to fight your nostalgia for the greatest playoff run in the history of sports because of yeah. Kurt fucking Schilling and him being a yeah. giant ass fucking piece of shit. Yeah, he's he's he might not be the worst from his era, but if he's not, he's like one A. He, he he's the he's the the biggest combination of bad and loud. Yeah, uh, <laughs> there might Aubrey be worse Huff people, also, but they're uh, well. Aubrey, Aubrey Huff's a little later, a I, I would say. Yeah. They're from the same, you know, ish time. Anyway, let's move on to the next one. So we get a few more of these done before the end of the show. Buzzy Dan says, uh, "Sugar wafer cookies that every grandma seemed to have, uh, either collectively or the vanilla, strawberry, chocolate flavors of individuals." Um, look, these things are overrated o- overall. Like all the shitty, you know, little Debbie type stuff like that. It's really bad for you. Blah blah blah. But I will say this: those things are fire, and I really wish I had one in front of me right now. Hundred percent agree. Nail on the head. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Gold says cookie dough. How could this ever be overrated? It's it's literally nectar from the gods. I actually think it is overrated. Like cookie dough yeah. ice cream is often you know held up as well, the the best ice cream. I get to eat ice cream maybe once a year, if if that. So I I prefer cookie dough when I get well, to have it. I the best ice cream flavor is butter pecan. So uh, let's get that out of the way right quick. Well, I don't know if that's going to be the one time I, you know, the one time I get to eat it. I think that's going to be the one I'm going to, I'm probably going to have some ice cream over next week. I'll, I'll definitely have some stuff I'm not supposed to have next week. It's really good butter pecan. Yeah. There's I'm a place in Roanoke a... that does brown butter pecan ice cream. Yeah. Oh, I I'm might get a lot some of, uh, bring a lot of stuff for my stomach when I go to Vegas or whatever. Uh, Kofira says foils, uh, overrated. Oh, overrated. I hate them. You should know that. How do you not know that by now? <laughs> Leo, the magician says Shakespeare. Um. Uh, so underrated by the general public, overrated by literature snobs. Yeah, kind of like that answer. Because, well, what Shakespeare isn't like some hoity-toity person. Like he wrote just a million fucking dick jokes and wrote for normal people. And it like over the centuries, he's been you know one misinterpreted and two uh you know elevated into this uh you know bourgeois realm that he never really existed in in his own time uh and it's a it's even more clear when you listen in original pronunciation uh which is a movement that's that's come out recently like um there's a there's a vowel shift in english from middle english to modern english and elizabethan english is what bridges the gap between those two things um uh, middle English is like Jeffrey Chaucer and modern English is pretty close to what we speak now. Um, basically what we speak now and, and Elizabethan's in between. And uh, 
the, the there's a you know the vowels are just pronounced differently than they they were back then. It's literally called the Great Vowel Shift. Uh, and if you pronounce the vowels as they were pronounced back then, there is a lot of different puns and uh, you know jokes and wordplay that is incredibly dirty that you don't pick up on uh, when you pronounce it with a, with a modern eye. So yeah, I'm I'm going with uh, with what I said. Okay, Gold says Frank's Red Hot, and I'm gonna say slightly underrated because this is the kind of like hot sauce that I get behind, where like it's not just hot; like there's some actual like flavorish to it. And I like this one on. Um, I actually liked Frank's Red Hot quite a bit. If I remember right, this is one of the ones that you could have, and I was doing the whole thirty because there's like no sugar in it or whatever. And uh, you know, plain wings were one of the things you could eat, and you could put hot sauce on, like certain hot sauces on them. So I remember I would like eat a lot of this during that time. I'm pretty in for most hot sauces, and this one is probably the more underrated. Like the, the ones that get talked about a lot, and I do like both of these quite a bit. Uh, but the ones that get all the hype are Cholula and Sriracha. Mm-hmm. And Cholula is the Mexican hot sauce. Sriracha is you know Southeast I had, Asian. I had Sriracha today. Yeah, <laughs> in, uh, in dinner. And uh, they're, they're both great. I like them both. Uh, but in terms of you know, even if I like them more than I would like Frank's Red Hot, which is like Louisiana hot sauce, basically just pureed peppers and vinegar. Uh, but it's still it's still good, so it's definitely underrated. Yeah, uh, it's really funny. The next one from Joe says super spicy foods. I'm gonna go with overrated for me personally for multiple reasons. A, they make me not feel good. You know, I kind of get I get sick from them. And two, it, I think it takes away like from the flavor and stuff. And it, it's not an experience that I I, I enjoy. So. Yeah, spicy food good. Super spicy food not good. Yeah. Right. Like, or like I need to be crying and having snot running down my face yeah. and I'm eating and stuff. Like I, I've eaten a chicken wing where I had to sign a waiver and handle it with a glove. Yeah. It was not enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Uh, some gold. Someone said, don't forget about the commercial from a few years ago uh, where the grandma says, I put that shit on everything. <laughs> That's actually kind of great. Uh, and someone said, uh, Joe also says decks that make your opponents uh, miserable playing magic like stacks or martyr proc. Yeah, they're overrated. Underrated. I think people no. I think people do some of the the memeier ones that aren't as good just because of what it does to people, and that's just like yeah. But when they're when they're messed, played, away, up. they're better than people think they are because not a lot of the best players pick them up. So when they're mm-hmm. really well played, they end up being yep. better than you think they are. Oh yeah, for sure. So that's my the source for my underrated. Yeah, absolutely. I think with that, we're going to end this week's episode. So um, look forward to next week's. We're sorry for missing. Last week, everyone. Um, hopefully, this one gets put out as quickly as possible. This was done on a Tuesday night. I got to believe it's going to take at least a few days for Brent to get this done. I know he's recovering from the COVID shot himself. He's got some other stuff going on, and he's working. So hopefully, this gets out before the weekend. But anyway, we'll see y'all next week. 